Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Nintendo Media Podcast. This is episode 83, where we will be ranking, yes, ranking every single movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All of them. It's a big undertaking, but it should be fun. Uh, we're doing this to celebrate the eight-year anniversary that happened this past week of the first Avengers movie that came out in 2012. I genuinely cannot believe it's been eight years already uh but josh yeah. how you doing tonight <laughs> i'm hanging in there man i uh i started a new job that's a morning shift and I, I i i really enjoy the job and i enjoy doing the morning shift i'm just i started crashing about an hour ago so i'm like come on man we got this podcast let's go with that said i'm not gonna lie this week is like the most excited I've been for a podcast in ages. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Um, almost like all of our news topics today, I'm super amped about. One in particular is like going to be the antithesis of one of my greatest rants that I've ever had on this podcast. Um, and while our discussion may be lengthy today, I think it's a very fun topic. But also, before we even get to any of those... You and I have something very fun to discuss in What Are We Watching? Oh, really? A movie that I know for a fact we both saw the day it came out. The final DC animated universe film, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. What's so funny is I've totally forgot because it's been several days. (laughs) I'll say, though, Uh, it's the first time in forever and it's no, for a fact, it's the first time in these like current DC animated movies timeline that immediately as soon as it was done, I wanted to hit play and watch it again. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because I, what's, you and I have been very critical about these animated movies, kind of not having mm-hmm. the charm and the great storytelling that some of the older animated movies had, like Mask of the Phantasm or uh, Batman Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero or even Under the Red Hood. Um, all of those were laid to rest with this one. Like they saved everything they had for this last movie and went out with a absolute bang. Yeah. I, and I was surprised as how much I was, I enjoyed Constantine basically at the center of it. So, um, I'm going to put up the spoiler warning now just because, I want to discuss it for a little bit before we move on to some other stuff, and it's hard not to discuss it without discussing some spoilers because there's so much to spoil in this movie. So if you guys don't want to know about uh, an animated movie in the DC Universe, it's not connected to anything in the mainstream movies, don't worry. Um, However, we still would highly recommend it. Um, So with that, I don't know how, but you actually made me care about Damien, and you fully completed his arc. Dude, how? Like, and then I never thought I'd be so psyched for Trigon getting out of the, of Raven's Gem. But it made sense. And even then, oh, it does. in that final fight, it's almost like Trigon's kind of the good guy because he looks at Superman. He's just like, unless you want to stay and fight, I'll fight you later. But I'd recommend getting out of here. <laughs> Oh, it's awesome because I think at some point, I, I think it's Raven that says it. She says, no, not Raven. Um, 
I forget who says it, but somebody says a line that goes uh, towards the point of no matter what the relationship is, parents still care about their children. Yes, and that was a very strong theme for this movie, whether it's Damien and Batman and that whole scene of I love that they were able to bring it full circle with the justice, not vengeance thing. Yes. That line has never hit harder than it did in that movie. Because in a lot of it is because it comes from Damien, who is very like, no matter what you say, he's very he's been fighting that hard. Like, nah, like I'm gonna kill everybody. Yeah, and this is by far the most violent DC animated movie they've ever done. Um, but it immediately oh gives it weight of basically, except for a handful of people, everyone you know and love will die horribly. Yeah, it's and and like in the first ten minutes or so. Not yeah, like, I oh, had it well, spoiled for me by via a screenshot on social media that Nightwing would die, and I thought that was a huge spoiler. Um, no, because um, everyone dies, and how Nightwing quote unquote dies, he gets off easy compared to some other people. Yes. Um, like when they, they're doing that pan shot and you see Starfire legitimately torn in half and her legitimately her intestines like just spewed everywhere. Yeah. But if you think this movie is really dour and depressing, it's it does have a lot of darkness, but it's to build up the stakes that immediately you understand and they do eventually pay it off in a really gratifying way. Yes. Um, it was just so rewarding and I popped really hard when, um, like everything's all dour and the body, no, the soul of Trigon enters Superman and everyone's just going, oh crap. Like that's the worst case scenario right there. Yes, and, it is. <laughs> um, some, I forget what it is. So, oh, seeing Lois, quote unquote, uh, spoiler alert again, seeing Lois Lane die brings Superman back who's been depowered for all this time and he just rips open his chest to reveal the classic Superman he's back fully powered again I'm just like you just beat the evil of Darkseid and Trigon all at once Superman that is the Superman we know and love yes it is it's a very very good movie it's fan service done right and for good storytelling it's not just fan service for the sake of fan service yes what i really liked was the the exploratory the true exploration of the consequences of flashpoint because this whole dc animated universe started with flashpoint and it kind of yes. ends with that flashpoint yes it does and I, oh, it frustrated me because as soon as this came out and I was seeing people rave about it online, there was the Snyder fans going, this movie take inspir took inspiration from Zack Snyder's original vision. You all hated that idea, but you love this. I'm like, yes, because this, we already cared about these characters and these characters were acting like the characters that we know. Yes. This also has several moves build. Yes, it had time to build. And I actually, that's one of the biggest things that amazed me with this movie is everything got paid off and they brought everything back. Even movies that 
you thought were just kind of outliers like Suicide Squad or Justice League Dark, everything comes back into play. The Suicide Squad is big factors in this movie. Uh, Constantine is big factors in this movie. Swamp Thing. It, it, this is everyone and everyone gets their time to shine or at least gets a good moment. Even King Shark. King Shark is a shark. <laughs> and then when he finally talks. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, though. Can we agree the real MVP of this movie, surprisingly, was Edrigan? Yes. When he finally starts rhyming again. Oh, I almost cried. But then just the whole time of he's got the great just one-liners and just not caring at all. Yes. It, it's he's, He was a lot of them. It's was just really good and enjoying enjoyable. It's I've not you and I both have been very critical of this current DC animated movies run. They've been very hit or miss um with very few hits. Um and even when they're hits they're okay. Not only is this the best one of this universe, I think it's probably up there for the discussion of one of the best DC animated movies they've ever made and I was blown away. Yeah, I I would agree. Now it's a matter of do we think they'll reset it anytime soon or do we think they'll go back to just standalone individual um, stories? And I kind of hope they just stick with individual stories for the time being. Yeah, well, we, we, we shall see because I, I think – I wouldn't be surprised if the first event, the first movie that comes is either a Flash or a Constantine movie. Or they just call it Justice League Rebirth. They could, absolutely. And it's everyone, and it kind of is the events like after a Flashpoint type of thing. Yeah. Uh, have you been watching anything else, though, besides this? I really haven't because of all the new the new job and the training that I, I've been doing. I can't – I haven't had a lot of time slash energy. Um, I've been just – Keeping up with uh, with the normal shows, unfortunately, Swamp People and Forged and Fire and Oak Island have all ended their seasons for this year. So I'm just kind of chilling now. Well, thankfully, we have, I wouldn't say a lot of news, um, but a lot of good news. Or as John Krasinski would say, some good news. One thing in yes. particular is very good news. I have opinions. <laughs> yeah, so um right off the top, this is like the exact opposite of one of the most angry rants that I've ever had on the show, if this is true. Um so a report came out last week from Heroic Hollywood who uh, will admit is not the most reliable source, but they're also not we got this covered in terms of everything they turn out is garbage. Um, they get a lot of stuff right, but they get a lot of stuff wrong. Um, so they're they're like the happy medium of we got this covered who's absolute garbage and never trust anything they ever say and like a variety or a deadline. So like quasi-reliable. Um, Heroic Hollywood came out with a story that apparently Warner Brothers has been developing a Supergirl movie for a long time. We've known that. I've yelled and screamed to high heaven about that. Um, however, this report says that they've halted production on that and are shifting their focus back to developing Superman properties because they, in their words, thought it would be confusing if we went 
directly from Justice League to Supergirl, which is the only part of the story that I don't buy because right now I don't think Warner Bros. gives two craps about continuity. Um, Yeah. But I am very much optimistic and I got really excited with the chance of, okay, we might be going back to Superman Um, because I've made no qualms. I've not done a good job of hiding the fact that I've thought from day one that Supergirl was a bad idea. Um, I think the character could absolutely work, but you have to introduce her into other stuff first. And also when they announced the Supergirl movie, it was in that era and time when Warner Bros. and DC was just announcing every single movie under the sun. Uh, Nightwing, Green Lantern, Cyborg, um, New Gods, and none of them have moved the needle at all or even started. So it was one of those projects that I kind of wondered if they were actually making or just said they were to get people excited. Um, That being said, yes, we need Superman back. We've you can't not have a DC universe without the guy that started everything. And I don't just mean Zack Snyder's Man of Steel kicking off the current DCEU. I mean everything, any comic book, anything has to come back to Superman. And he has to be involved in the plans at some level. Um, now, the report did not say if um, when people are running with it because they hope it's true, that the report did not specify whether or not they're considering bringing back Henry Cavill. I would f- hope so, but I, I have, I'm 50-50 on it whether or not they actually would. Um, but we can talk about that in a little bit more, in a little bit more here. Um, but Josh, first, you hear that they're dropping or at least postponing a Supergirl movie in favor of a Superman outing or trying to get another Superman movie in development. What are your immediate thoughts? I think it's a good move. I'm with you in that uh, Supergirl could definitely work on the big screen. It's a matter of setting it up right. And in a lot of ways, some of the best parts of her arc are because Superman's already there. So she, you gotta, I think, in my opinion, you gotta build Superman more and have his presence actually felt in the world before you can even consider having Supergirl there. Yeah, because, and I don't know a ton about Supergirl, but I know enough to know that a lot of her um, characters and rosters, both good guys and bad guys, heavily crossover with Superman. So it would be really, really odd to not have Superman at all or Superman established first. Like, I know Supergirl crosses paths with Brainiac a lot, but that's mainly because so does Superman. Yeah, it's... I, I I guess I personally am not that familiar with her, her rogues gallery, but I feel like they, there's a lot of cro- crossover. Um, what could be cool is maybe some sort of new age of like a team built with her. I mean, it'd feel weird, but I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Could be uh, somebody, um, one of our, I think one of our listeners on the podcast suggested they do like uh, what was the animated movie with Batman and Superman, and they um, discover Kara and more or less adopt her before Darkseid can kidnap her. 
Uh, I think that's Apocalypse? Justice League Apocalypse. Yeah, they suggested something like that. Um, I wouldn't mind a Superman Supergirl team up, and he kind of has to show her um, the way. Do you know the way? But the thing is, you would need to establish Superman first. Yeah, one more time because I. <laughs> The Justice League Superman is the best Superman we've gotten so far and being like really accurate to what we've wanted in a Superman movie. And I was talking to my dad about this uh, just the other day of if we really get down to it, we really haven't ever gotten a truly great Superman movie. Like for Batman, he's had several. 89, uh, Batman Begins, yeah. The Dark Knight, um, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Homecoming. Thor, Iron Man, all of them, all the famous people have at least one great movie. Superman has some movies that are good, but no movie that really encapsulates every aspect of Superman really, really well. Um, Now, to address the elephant in the room, do we think it would be Henry Cavill? I find it hard to believe that it wouldn't be Henry but at the same time, I don't know, man. I I am more it, optimistic about him returning now than I was this time a month or two ago when we were both kind of at that point of thinking, okay, yeah, he. the signs seem to point that he's done and Warner Bros. has no interest. If they are interested, I can see them bringing him back into the fold. Y- yes. At least I would hope so. Because um, well, I, I, uh, if I remember right, there were questions as to how available he would be as far as his shooting schedule. And I fe- if, to my understanding, it's clean, cleared up quite, quite a bit now. Yeah, the only thing on it that I know of right now is The Witcher Season 2. And if they did another Superman movie, it would still be a long ways off because there's no like active story or anything that they're working on. So they would need to develop stuff first before we get another Superman. So realistically, it'd be two or three years away. Um, but I've not seen an actor more destined to, like, clamoring to come back than Henry Cavill as Superman. Like, he's all but begged Warner Bros. to come back, and fans want him to, to the point of if it's somebody else, but still in this DCEU, fans will riot. Yeah, well, because as much as I kind of like the idea of a uh, Michael B. Jordan, um, wasn't he the one that the name thrown around to come back as Superman? He did have discussions, but I don't know if it would have been a Clark Kent Superman. Yeah, but at the same time, if you do that, fine. But I feel like there's better roles for Michael B. Jordan to do that would not be so much of it's superman but black i i don't know how to say that without sounding a little a little racist but like it's not even so much race thing of i'm fine with a black superman it's just that there's no reason to replace henry at this stage yes other than why think his superman is the reason that people didn't like the superman movies that's never been the case 
Yeah, it's, I don't know, man. We, we'll see, as is the story with this ongoing dilemma. It's very much, hey, let's throw a coin up in the air and see what happens. Yeah, I have more faith now than I did a month or two ago about the future of Superman. But I'll be honest, if we do get a Superman movie announced, but Henry Cavill's not coming back, I'll still be excited for it just because we desperately need a Superman movie and a good one at that. Um, and I'll be willing to sacrifice. I'll be like, okay, we might not be able to have Henry Cavill for this, but at least we're getting a Superman movie. I'll still be on board for that, but I would prefer it to be Cavill. Yeah, I agree. He's, he, he is, especially with how he ends up being in at the end of uh, Justice League. That's like prime, like, yes, that's super, that's the Superman we've been wanting. And like, I like it. Um, almost everything about it from a visual standpoint, he's just jacked beyond belief, got the physicality, but more than anything, I've always liked the suit. I just wish it was brighter in its color scheme. Yeah. Like it was always well, too they, muted to me. Yeah. Even in Justice League, it was a little too muted, but his personality and the little, the stupid little boy scout quips that he was throwing out were like perfect it was like yes not superman yeah he's so like, supposed I, I hope, to be cheesy yeah I, I hope we bring more of that we'll, we'll see again we'll see what happens we're just gonna throw a coin up in the air and hope it uh something cool happens but yeah right now everything lives in the world of hypotheticals until the world can resume yeah 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 well i'm sure you have mixed feelings about this next one which is but isn't a shock to Star Wars fans, and that is that in The Mandalorian Season 2, we will be getting Boba Fett, of all people. It's in supposedly a small role, which is a detail that everyone's overlooking because they're losing their minds going, it's Boba Fett! It, in a small role, guys, calm yourselves first. Uh, but not only are we getting Boba Fett, it's going to be played by Tamora Morrison, uh, who was Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones, since Boba is... The son, that was like the clone, um, and he played all the clones in Revenge of the Sith and whatnot. Um, I I am torn on this. I think it's awesome that they are bringing back uh, Tamora because it's just that keeping of continuity from Attack the Clones, and also he was great in Aquaman, loved him in Aquaman. And here's where I'm going to lose some people. Ophet is the single most overrated character in Star Wars. Yeah, okay, besides that detail, um I need <sighs> I'm frustrated because we were all going to see the Mandalorian season 2 anyway. Like we now we know Ahsoka is going to be involved. Now we know Boba Fett's going to be involved. Like just save some, keep some stuff under wraps, man. Like I I want to like I understand like there's still so much about season 2 that we don't know. I just, I, I, I can just imagine how much that would have broken the internet if they kept it completely under wraps and that episode comes out where he makes a debut and just everyone would have lost their minds. Yeah, I am, I'm kind of in the same boat as you of, come on, Disney, you're normally pretty good about keeping leaks out of people's minds. Well, Let's specify here. Marvel is normally great about 
keeping leaks from getting out. Star Wars, for some reason, over the past like three years, has been awful about it. We had, like we said, the Ahsoka thing announced, then now this Boba Fett thing, um, and Rise of Skywalker, more or less the entire movie, the details, like the everything about the movie leaked like two or three months early for some reason. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. And I mean, I know I can gripe and complain about it right now, but it's whatever Uh, it's out there. Okay, fine. Let's deal with it. Um, in a short limited role with Boba Fett. Cool. Is this an opportunity to actually make him not a useless character as, as he's a cool looking, but he in the OG trilogy, he's completely useless. Yeah. I've always thought his design was great, but you're right. He doesn't do anything. Exactly. So, if that's the case, cool. This is a perfect opportunity to, in a limited role, give us a reason to actually want to see a cool Boba Fett doing things. And I would be down like, for if he does have a very, very small role in season two in that he kills Moff Gideon and claims the Darksaber, setting up season three with Mando versus Boba Fett for the dark saber and control over the Mandalorians. Yeah. It just something like that. Like I'm fine with a limited role right now so that we can build him into something really cool. Or even like have him be like the, like the Mandalorian army that on, um, Oh, whatever the planet, the, the, the thief den was on the thief, the bounty hunter guild was on. Like, have the, him be a character that he can, in the future, be like, yo, I need help. I should call a friend. You know, like, have have him be in that role as well, which would be really cool. To have Mando fight alongside Baba against Moff, Moff Gideon. Like, that would... So, uh, there's tons of little details that they could do. With it. So, is it really cool and exciting to me that Boba Fett's coming back? Coming back? Yes. It's really fun. I think it's a good callback. I love the the continu- the nod to continuity. It's something that I don't think really anybody really thought about up until this point. Um, it could be fun as long as you, you know, keep it in limited and give us a reason to really actually be like, Oh man, that's Boba Fett. Oh, that's so cool. I'm kind of hoping um, I can see the story going that the Imperial uh, the Imperial Army still wants the child and so they'll like send people to try and hunt down Mando. Maybe they send Boba Fett for an episode and they come to some kind of understanding because I highly doubt they're gonna bring back Boba just to kill him again. but I hope yeah. this leaves the door open for other bounty hunters to show up. Fingers crossed for Bosk. That'd be cool. That would be a lot of fun. I mean, it's there's a lot of opportunity, I think, here to really show how deep and rich uh, the bounty hunters. How do I say this? Um, the bounty mytholo- hunter guild. Yeah, the mythology of the bounty hunters in Star Wars can can be. I mean, I remember reading. There's a. Uh, a series called uh, Jedi Apprentice in the ex- extended yep. universe books that with that's the, all the adventures of Qui-Gon and, and uh, Obi-Wan before episode one. And there's a bounty hunter that makes an appearance in that series that I would love to see with the, the laser whip. 
If we're recanonizing bounty hunters, we need to bring back Dirge from the original Clone Wars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dirge was the best, and I'm still ticked that Disney hasn't brought him back or didn't have him in the newer Clone Wars because everyone was drooling over how cool Asajj Ventress was, and we're like, but Dirge! <laughs> yeah, have we'll Mando be in- chased by Bosk, by Dengar, Zucko, IG-88 this time. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be... It's an opportunity to have some fun. And they're tackling something I don't think anybody really knew that they wanted in that, hey, let's go find Yoda's homeworld. Like, oh boy, let's go. That is interesting. Let's let's do this. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm curious to see... I highly doubt this will be the last original trilogy character to show up in these movies, yes. in this show. Um, but we shall see going forward. I'm a little torn, but mostly excited for our next discussion topic. And that is that Disney is apparently eyeing a reboot of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise just without Johnny Depp and just kind of doing a clean slate or potentially tying it into the Johnny Depp movies as a separate thing that kind of still exists in the greater universe. Uh, this time with the lead character being played by Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy, Karen Gillan. Um, a thousand times, yes, please. Yeah, I, I think because of my love of Karen and not like, a oh man, she's so hot. Like, no, like literally everything I've seen her in, I have enjoyed her work. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I have not seen a single bad Karen Gillan performance, like, ever. So, here, the the test of of how nerdy somebody is, is uh, what what movie do you remember first seeing Karen in? Oculus! Doctor Who. (laughs) I knew somebody was going to say it. (laughs) Nah, dude. That didn't happen. She was never a who. Yeah. It was a thing. Doctor Who's great. She was a fun companion. scare uh, me, so... Yeah, well, I know. And uh, She's great in Oculus. She's great as Nebula. Honestly... Jumanji. I, I didn't even realize it was her. When, when Nebula first appears, I was just like, oh, cool, this is a cool character. And then there's some of her mannerisms. I was like, that... Is that Karen? No way. Again... Jumanji. Yes, Jumanji. Well, she's great. Um, I appreciate that she's been doing like supporting roles like mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy and Jumanji and big blockbusters. And now it kind of seems like it's her time to try being the main lead. And I think she's more than earned it. And I think she more than has the talent to do it. Absolutely. However, there's a big however here. Um, And this is going to sound super weird and super inside baseball for Disney. I I think Disney is looking at this because, yes, she's talented and she's already in the family with Guardians. I do worry that they're just casting her because she's a redhead. Because, um, like a year or two ago, the Pirates of the Caribbean rides um, were refurbished and remodeled so that there's this new female pirate character called Red. Um, so instead of selling women as pirates would, they more or less made one of the pirates female and 
she's trying to steal rum instead to make the ride more family-friendly, to which I'm just going, again, pirates necessarily aren't family-friendly. So uh, I'm calling it now that she she's going to be more or less a live-action version of Red, who I'm fine with, but I'm like, please don't tell me you just cast her because she's got red hair. Um, yeah. Hmm. But that being said, she's long overdue to starting her own franchise. And yes. again, I'm going to say the very unpopular opinion. Pirates has needed to move away from Johnny Depp for a long time now. And it yes. has nothing to do with his outside life. It's just that as the films went on, Jack Sparrow overshadowed everything else and didn't let yeah. the rest of the world breathe. Yeah. Like he does Jack Sparrow so well, but after a certain point, you didn't care about anything else besides Jack Sparrow and you kind of have to. They relied too much yeah. on the gimmick that was Jack Sparrow. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when you have a movie that's essentially about Will deal, dealing with the fact that his father is the flying Dutchman and how to how to save his dad and ends up making that choice of, well, fine, I'll be the captain of the flying Dutchman, blah, blah, blah. Like having these like really emotional and truly like large moments being kind of overshadowed by Jack Sparrow dancing up and down the ship, screaming, I've got a jar of dirt. But he did have a jar of dirt. (laughs) And let's be honest, that seems hysterical. Oh, it's great. And that's what, and that's what I think is, is hurtful in in a sense. It's not necessarily, okay, maybe not hurtful, but that's why I guess it's such a paradox or, or like such a weird situation because Jack, like you said, Jack, Jack Sparrow is so entertaining and it, he did become a character that you only, you only watched um, Pirates of the Caribbean for him, even though a lot of the characters in the films are dealing with some really tough stuff and some really interesting things. And to bring everything full circle back to Oculus, her co-star, Bretton Thwaites, is already established in the Pirates universe if you want to bring him in. Wait, as as who? He was in Pirates 4. Oh, is he Wilson? Uh, no, that was 5, I think. 4 is the one with the mermaids. Oh, I didn't see 4. I didn't see that one. Yeah, he was in 4. Mm. Which I actually think 4 is the second best one after the first one. I well, I haven't seen but then it. Then again, so that's not a high movie. bar. Yeah. The first one is is very good, so it's it's hard to yeah. We'll see. It's at least Disney clearly has gotten away from making movies based off park attractions as we have Jungle Cruise next year. Yeah. I'm still okay. mad that we never got the Guillermo del Toro Haunted Mansion movie. <laughs> no, cuz that, that was in cool. development supposedly. If he was working on it with um with Ryan Gosling set to star in it. Oh wow. And I'm going Oh, dude. Remake Country Bears, dang it. That would be... No. No. And just cast Haley Joel Osment now, because he already looks like a bear. So anyway, um, National Treasure is coming to Disney+. Plus. Kind of. (laughs) Kind of. Kind of. I... 
This is the one that I'm most down about, but even then I'm still cautiously optimistic and I'm down about this because it's not going to be the original cast. So what Josh is talking about is apparently in addition to National Treasure 3, hallelujah, we're getting that. Um, apparently in addition to that, we are getting a National Treasure series on Disney+. Plus. However, it will not focus on the characters from the movies and it'll be a different cast of characters to which I just go, boo, that's a cop out. We saw the librarian TV show on TNT. That did not do well. I don't, and well, and like, I don't know how you would do this show without the original characters. It's I don't Wiley know how you do training that. Nicholas Cage's kids. No, uh, that's terrifying. Actually, <laughs> they're all just like two feet tall, but they all have the head of Nicholas Cage. Ah, they're like Oompa Loompa-sized no. cages. That that should not be as uh, terrifying to me as it is, but. I okay, fine, sure. Let's do that. Let's do this National Treasure series with no none of the original cast being the focus. Fine, that that works. That worked out really well for Scrubs season nine. So let's try it again. Well, Scrubs season nine at least had some of the original cast. They just weren't the focus. Yeah, fair. Um, and so true. Tr- yeah, I'm split on this because yes, I would like the original cast to be there, and maybe they will show up. Um. If anything, that'll get Riley just because I don't see him being too busy with other stuff. But on the flip side, I've always wanted more adventure series and more treasure hunt stuff. So the possibility of that could be interesting. Like, have a specific treasure that takes all season to find it. I would be okay with that. I could, yeah, and give give more time for, like, emotional development. Like, that's almost an Uncharted-esque series that I I think would be... I can see that being successful. Yeah, Heather a while back suggested if we were never going to get an Uncharted movie, make that a Netflix series. So this could kind of be the equivalent of that. I can see that, yeah. In a perfect world, it's Uncharted meets Liberty's kids. Okay. Okay. I, I, I see... I, I spent picking up what you're putting down. Which, shout out to Liberty's kids for anybody that remembers that great show. Either that or or somehow do a Magic Treehouse. See, we were supposed to get a Magic Treehouse show on Netflix, and I'm pissed that we still haven't gotten it. Yeah, because I remember us talking about it, but like they were like, hey, we're doing it, and then nothing has been said about it since. Yeah, whether it was either live action or animated, either one of those has a lot of potential. Also, can we get a remake of Wishbone? Oh man, or just put all of Wishbone on Netflix or, or somewhere, please. I oof. The Halloween episode still gives me nightmares. Dude. Oof. That was the one point. episode that I could not watch. And like even I like, thought that was just kid, me. Uh, no, dude, I don't know why. As it, and like thinking about it, thinking back to it, it was like it doesn't sound that scary like as an adult given what I've seen now so I would love to track down that episode and, and watch it again just to kind of YouTube now okay look some of us don't spend a lot of time on YouTube it's if on I YouTube did, in its entirety how I know that <laughs> if also, I if did you see I'd be old, watching old episodes of Out of the Box <laughs> <laughs> see but 
I'm oh, also, do you that. remember those old 2D animated Ronald McDonald cartoons? Those are also on YouTube. Don't ask. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. Um, I mean, Beautiful Joe and Ultimate Muscle are are in their entirety on YouTube. So I just haven't watched those yet. YouTube's a wonderful place. You can find us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. Shameless plug. Okay, there's that plug. <laughs> but I, like we've said, I'm torn on this. I am a little disappointed, and that's kind of a deal breaker that the original cast is not involved. However, I always want more treasure hunt stuff, so I'd be curious about that. Yeah, it, it could be fun. I mean. I'll believe it. I'll, I'll believe it when there's a trailer. <laughs> yeah, ain't that's the truth for just about everything. Yeah, looking at you, New Gods movie that supposedly is still moving forward. Doubt it. Yeah, okay. Uh, now for our last news topic, yeah. I'm excited about this one. Um, Josh, you're a fan of the John Wick franchise, right? Oh yeah, I mean the 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 action franchise that has gotten surprisingly big uh, after. Okay, because I don't know about you, but when somebody was like, "Hey, Keanu Reeves is in, in is in an action movie," Keanu, we all of us were like, "Okay, sure, whatever, we'll watch it," and it ended up being amazing. And yeah, then we didn't see the first even, one in theaters, did we? Uh, I didn't I see it in theaters. I don't think I didn't either. I, I think, think we I started it with the second one. I think so too, because we had hap- we'd happened to see the the first one, and we're like, "What is like this?" Like or something. We're just like, "Holy crap!" They actually know how to film an action scene. Yes, I remember being like blown away by it. Um, Holy and crap! There's Steadicam, was- and that's clearly Keanu doing the stunts. Yes, John Wick um, Five, John Wick versus Tom Cruise stunt <laughs> off. Jeez, but I mean, with with the direction they're going, like. It's wild to me that three built us, it put us in a world that I was like, yeah, no, no, no. I need a John Wick four. Well, John Wick two and three did this great world building. And so that brings us to what we're talking about today. Of uh, A while back, they announced that they would be doing a ballerina spinoff movie about uh, the school that Angelica Houston runs of like ballerina assassins. And so apparently they're moving forward with that spinoff movie and eyeing Chloe Grace Moretz as the lead. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Absolutely. Like Chloe Grace Moretz, I don't think she's on the same level as Karen Gillan for me just because Karen Gillan's one of my favorite actresses. But Chloe Grace Moretz is another one of she's almost always good in everything she's in. She doesn't have as good of discernment as Karen Gillan in terms of the movies that she's been in. But... um. She's always entertaining and great and also has a history of being great in action movies, minus the fifth wave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm amazed I even remembered that movie so quickly. Yes, but here's the thing. I have always said that Hit Girl should have a movie, and now we're literally getting Hit Girl. Yeah, they waited too long to do a Hit Girl movie because the thing is with Hit Girl... You had to capitalize it as soon as possible to maintain yes. that charm because of how young she was. It's kind of the issue that Shazam 2 is going to have of what the cast is going to age really quickly. But you're right. I'm very much excited for the potential because uh, one of the big standouts for me in John Wick 3 was the ballerina segment uh, and seeing mm-hmm. that kind of like 
almost mafia subset that was run by Angelica yes. Houston and the very strict rules that accompany it. Yes. It, the It'll nice thing is dude. with the John Wick movies is they expand the world that they exist in, but never go full Amazing Spider-Man 2 of sequel baiting. It just organically comes to life of this is the world John Wick lives in. And if there's things you want to know about, let us know. We could potentially go down that route. Yeah. They just kind of, they, and they never really even like hint at anything either. They're all, they're all, John is always like, I've got to go somewhere to deal with this. Cause this is stupid. And I'm tired of dealing with this. Ugh. And, and it just, you continuously like learn more and more about this world of assassins. I'll be honest though. As excited as, as I am for this prospect, if you had to spin off anything in the John Wick movies into their own thing, my top pick would be the hotel manager. Yes. The I would best be character. so that. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I, 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 I want to see the life of the sumo wrestler assassin from two. <laughs> There's just so many routes you can go. Bring back common while you're at it. No, no, dude! That shootout between him and John in the second one in the airport was fantastic. You're not wrong. <laughs> and technically, he's still alive. As Wick just left him with a big old knife in his chest. With the, but the line that he says is, "If you remove the knife, you you'll bleed out within seconds." Basically, and he says like something like, "Be seeing you, John," or something like that. Yeah. But he's the only guy that, like, only main henchman that didn't die. Right, because Ruby Rose got trashed. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and what's his face in the third one with that fantastic knife uh, sword fight in the clear room? The mirror room is still one of my favorite scenes in the series. There's so much in John Wick that I'm just scratching my head going, how did you film this? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, there's mirrors everywhere. How am I not seeing the camera anywhere in any of the reflections, dude? Or even the the entirety of the um the the hot tubs scene from the first one. Oh like, yes, like the entirety of that, like him battling from all these different environments. And still, like, the camera's moving with it. Uh, it's just so intri- intriguing, and I would love to see behind the scenes on these, on these movies. Oh, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, though, John Wick 4, whenever it comes out, it will not be on Keanu Day. It got delayed, so now Matrix 4 and John Wick 4 will not be coming out on the same day, and I am sad. Oh, no. I was like, just delay Matrix 4. No one cares about it. Um, and then quickly rush into production another Bill and Ted then we can have Bill and Ted 4 with Matrix 4 and John Wick 4 all on the same day make it Keanu day honestly I don't know if the world could handle that everyone would just stop and say whoa <laughs> and do another Toy Story with him as Duke Kaboom or Duke Kaboom spinoff movie <laughs> Duke Kaboom. Yes, he Canada. (laughs) Where he runs into the Moose Brothers from Brother Bear. Oh, I would pop for that. Oh my gosh. We're really going down the rabbit hole now. 
We are. Oh, man. Do <laughs> you want to move into a sponsor before we deep dive into our discussion? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's go our sponsor. This episode of Uncharted Media Podcast is brought to you in part by Lowe's for all your home and imp- improvement needs. Also, the place that's giving Josh a job. <laughs> the way you started that advertisement, I thought you were like the PBS station. Thanks for <laughs> I'm telling you, brought bro. To you you watch too much like, public tel- television. My favorite meme that I've seen over the past few weeks, even among all the great quarantine memes, is the one, the Michael Scott meme of like when he's employee and he shakes the CEO's hand and it's like, PBS, thanking me, a child, for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> yes! Oh, it's the best. Well, as we said earlier, it is the eight-year anniversary uh, the first Avengers movie, which is what I actually think is really what kick-started the MCU into another gear of Iron Man, yes, kicked everything off. Um, and then all these um, origin movies were really great. But Avengers is what escalated to the next level of, oh, Marvel's really not messing around. They actually pulled this thing off. Oh, and also there's the anniversary of Iron Man 2 this past week, but no, just... That's not no what's celebrating. No one cares about Iron Man 2. So, up till this date of whatever day it is today, time is relative in this quarantine era. Um, there is 23 movies in the MCU. We will be ranking them from worst to best. Um, I don't know about you, Josh, but it was not hard for me to come up with my number 23, my worst in the MCU by far. Um, Hold on. I only have 22. What's your... Number 23, your... by far the worst, Captain Marvel. I mean, yes. It's that is, that's the worst. Is that your, like, well, 22 not, that you forgot I, what 23 is? Uh, no, well, I I only have 22 movies in total, so I'm trying to recount well, go them. go down the see. line and see what you've got, what you're missing out on. Yeah, because I, I have a law. I, I mean, I have... Most of them. So, um, yeah. So why do you hate Captain Marvel? Because I have it at 22. Okay, so yeah, it's the bottom of your barrel too. It's just that it hyped it up so much and people will be like, well, it made a billion dollars, so it was good. Transformers made a billion dollars. doesn't mean it was good either. It made a billion dollars because people thought it would give them answers to how Endgame would go down, but it doesn't tie into Endgame at all because Carol isn't really involved in Endgame. It's a matter of... Her arc doesn't really make sense in that she doesn't really have one. Of Everyone keeps telling her, don't be so emotional, don't be so emotional. She doesn't emote in the whole movie. Um, yeah. She's not a very likable protagonist. Um, and that continued in Endgame. Like, you can have a cocky character, case in point, Iron Man. But the thing is, their cockiness is always, like, overcompensating for the fact that they're actually really insecure. Hers just came across as just arrogant and unlikable. And even taking a her character aside for a second, it was so convoluted. They throw so much at you as a viewer. It doesn't just like ease you into the story. You could tell um, in the credits, they show how many people wrote this movie. It's like four or five people. You could tell there's too many cooks in the kitchen on this one of there's so many things that they were trying to do, but it just becomes so jumbled and messy. It's not clear. It's just awful. Very, anticlimactic finale like Jude Law is normally a win in everything that he's in um he was really forgettable I just everything about it 
makes me yeah. – nothing stands out about this movie at all. It, the, I think the thing it also had going against was it felt like it was trying to do the same thing the Guardians of the Galaxy did as far as like a time period theme, which was really weird that something like that would go against it. But just the fact that it was like, hey, Captain Marvel was here back in the 90s. Everything Look at this blockbuster that she crashed into. Yeah, it, it just felt it felt forced. Yeah, and it, I could tell that Kevin Feige really cares about Captain Marvel because he's wanted to put her in forever. And I think the potential for the character is there. I just don't think they really did it very well in that first one. But first origin story movies are kind of spotty for the MCU. It's really where the, in the sequels the characters kind of find their groove from narrative standpoint. So my hopes are high that she is a little better in the second one, but I don't know. Yes. So my 23. <laughs> yeah, what's well, next? Mar- your the, the my, your Mar- 21, my 22. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So Captain Marvel is 21 for me. And uh, 22. You mean 22? Me. Yes, because I only have 22 instead of 23. Right? So what's Are after Captain say? Marvel? What's before Captain Marvel? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think so, C- Captain America: Civil War is the worst film in the entire. Wow! Yeah, I'm saying wow. it. Wow! Okay, I'm going there. So our list is definitely going to be different. Holy crap! Yes. Okay, I, you're gonna I mean, need to, you are going to need to defend that hot take for everybody right now. Holy cow! I mean, I don't think I hold on. I don't think I've been quiet about how much I dislike. True, but um, if anybody's listening to this for the first time, Josh, you need to explain your completely <laughs> insane and okay. wrong opinion here. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So here's the thing: Are there cool moments in Civil War? Absolutely. Am I am I happy that we finally got that amazing like Cap versus Iron Man scene? And do I feel like it lived up to what what it does in the comics? Absolutely. Like I was holding my breath in that scene, but the movie that surrounds it, it just it doesn't make sense. Okay, um, who was it? Uh, the guy that does Cinema Sin said it best when he said. Okay, yes. Cinema Wins is so much better. It is. But the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues I have, and it, it's one of the reasons I hate Tony for the most part, is that the fact that he goes to help out Cap at, at, by the end of the film shows that even Tony knows that he's in the wrong. So the whole film is be, is being brought built up on the premise that you have two very distinct sides and one of them is not distinct and will just change willy-nilly as to what benefits him. Cap and his team are the only ones that actually stick to their guns and stand for what they believe in. And because of that, I mean you even have your your main villain who and maybe it's because I, I've always thought Zemo, I wanted the mask. I wanted the sword. I wanted Baron Zemo. Not You're getting the that sword Falcon Winter Soldier. Okay, cool. I don't care. I just, 
I don't like Civil War because I think it took a potentially really big story and just kind of was like, well, we need to find a way to introduce Black Panther and Spider-Man and uh, bring in show that, you know, Ant-Man can be a part of the Avengers and all this stuff. Let's just use the Civil War story to do that. They they took a big story that could potentially have been, in my opinion, more emotionally taxing than Endgame and just kind of eh, did like a little dusty fart with it. Wow. Okay. My only like rebuttal with this, because mine is not nearly this low, it's very high on my list. Um, is if the Civil War comic did not exist, would you still hate this movie? I think so. Really? Because it seems like a lot of it is you're comparing it to the original story and how it's different. So, I mean, you know, we've known each other for a while, and I think anybody who's been listening to the show for a while will know that I... I can love I can love a movie but hate the story that goes into it. Example being The Dark Knight Rises. I like I want to love that movie, but I can't because I see the choices that the characters are making in the whole scope of the story and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't flow to me. Well, that just that movie has a lot of issues in, in and of itself, but Yes, but it's Civil War to me is it. There's some really cool moments, but like the epitome to me, uh, when I was like done with the movie, it, which is funny that I was emotionally just over with it right before the Cap, um, the Cap Iron Man fight. But when Tony has that realization that Bucky killed his parents after almost 30 minutes of him basically forgiving Bucky. That's the one thing in that movie that I will give you of, they kind of played as this big plot twist. I always kind of assumed ever since Winter Soldier that Bucky killed his parents. Yeah, like, and it's going to spend 30 minutes with Tony basically being like, hey, like, you know what? I understand you, this, you had no choice. You were under, you know, communist control, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden just completely turn, do a complete 180. Not only does that me as a viewer go, Oh, come on. But also it makes this whole quote unquote moral high ground that you've been toting this whole film look like a banana hammock. Like you can't stand on it, dude. How long have you been waiting to use that analogy? I don't know. I just, I just pulled that out of my butt right now. That, that kind great. of worked. It did. <laughs> Good it for did. you. Now, really let me enlighten you as to what the actual next worst movie is after <laughs> Captain Marvel. Are you forgetting the debacle that is Iron Man 2? I actually have that. That's what I'm, I just realized what I'm missing. I kind of figured it was... One of like the lesser known ones. I can't believe I forgot about it. Actually, I, I can't I can believe, believe I forgot, you about, forgot it. about it. Because <laughs> I forgot Iron Man 3. <laughs> We're back on track, folks. We're back on track. <laughs> we should be at least. Oh, that is so telling. <laughs> we should be back on track. But 
Yes. <laughs> Captain Marvel is my worst. Fall very, very closely behind. Neck and neck um, is Iron Man 2. This is like the first... This could have been a much worse situation for the MCU than people realize. Um, because we hadn't had Avengers yet. Um, we were riding pretty good. We had Iron Man, Incredible Hulk. Didn't light the world on fire, but it was at least decent. Um, then we got Iron Man 2. So we're still early in the phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This really could have derailed things because it's really not that good. And it is... Normally, Marvel has Easter eggs scattered throughout. And not normally this blatantly obvious to shove it down your throat of we're establishing a future movie of... Hey, here's Captain America's shield. Y'all recognize Captain America's shield? Look at Captain America's shield. We're going to have Coulson hold Captain America's shield. Um, yeah. And even the, take away all of the forced Easter eggs. It's the whole, my, um, what is it? Arc reactor is slowly poisoning me. So I have to create a whole new element to put inside my body. And I'm going... Wait, can you create elements? Um, and the key to creating this element is in a blueprint that your dad made like 50 years ago that you just yeah. happen to still have in your office? And it start, to me, it starts the... I mean, it's, it's a little higher on my list, but not much. Um, I think the bottom... I think the bottom eight, like four or five are all going to be about the same for us. But uh, just in different order. Yeah, probably. Um, the, the, the Iron Man 2 started the just the best, and I'm saying this as sarcastically as possible, the best story point that Disney continuously revisits, which I don't know why, Iron Man villains and Spider-Man villains have to be someone that the Starks have screwed over in one shape or f- one way, shape, or form. Also, still to this day, I die laughing because I remember when I saw this movie in theaters with my dad, we got out of it. And neither of us particularly liked it, but we didn't hate it. And my dad just goes, so the thing that really lost me in this movie was he steals all Iron Man's tech. He's all powerful like Iron Man. And what does he do? He makes whips out of them? The least effective (laughs) weapon he could have made? And I'm going, "Yeah, you are so right, dad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like don't get me wrong if iron man literally cool. iron man can fly if he just flies away from whiplash and shoots him from a distance he wins yes. happy beats him by running him over four times <laughs> i mean but also there's like the really cool but stupid scenes where Rhodey and, and tony are surrounded and it like duck and he does the like mini laser thing and Rhodey's like, oh, you should have led with that. And he's like, yeah, I probably should have. It was like, do you not know how to use your own tech? Like, what are you doing? And Mickey Rourke has a bird for some reason. Yeah. Although I will say, as bad as Iron Man 2 is, it does have the most underrated villain in Sam Rockwell's character. Yes! I love the Hammerbots. Oh, I love He was so good. Justin Hammer is a moron, and I loved every second with him, and he needs Dude, to come back, please. He is that is literally the only reason that I, I put this a little higher 
because I I enjoy his presence so much and all of the jokes that come with it. He's just so naturally schmarmy and charismatic. It's just wonderful. Also, yes. Iron Man 2 replaced Rhodey, and I hate Don Cheadle. Well, no, I will say hate. I normally really like him. I much prefer Terrence Howard over Don Cheadle as Rhodey. I agree, but I, I mean, I, I've heard all the stories as to why, um, supposedly why he uh, he left. But we'll see. yeah, yeah, that there's always he said he said type thing. Yes, but I went to garbage. But uh, what's next? Okay, let's get back on track now. So I did twenty three and twenty two. You did twenty three, and I. What's your twenty two? Twenty two as well. Yeah, because twenty two was was Captain Marvel. Then what was twenty so, three? Ca- what's your worst? Oh, Cap- was Civil War Civil your worst? War. Yeah, Civil War is the okay, worst. Okay, Civil War then Captain Marvel. Okay, we're back on track. Yes. So twenty one. What you got? Thor: The Dark World. Bro, same. <laughs> Not surprised at all. And also, no. this one hurts the most because of what it could have been. Because Disney fired Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins for this movie. Yes. Because it, it, it's, she wanted uh, to do a certain thing and just like, no, nah, we really want to go in this direction. Well, you let her go to more or less help DC get back on track. And you morons made this movie instead. And the, the, problem, the, the problem I have the most with this film is it does have a lot of really cool per- potential. But it comes out as this like bland, like not necessarily colorless, but not necessarily colorful. Uh, it's yeah, just bland, but also it felt it was the first time that an MCU movie felt corporately manufactured. Yeah, yes, that's what it is. Like we need to have we need to have this, we need to have this. This time, uh, Natalie Portman's gonna be the fish out of water. Also, Jane Foster is my least favorite character in the entire MCU, not named Pepper Potts. So, yeah, I've long since wanted Thor to be with Lady Sif instead. I mean, yes, but it's just that's also Thor the Dark World. I feel pretty confident saying as bad as Iron Man 2's villain is, Thor the Dark World still has the worst villain of all time with Malaketh the Destroyer because he doesn't do remember anything about Malaketh. Other than he's a dark elf, whatever that is. Like his henchman that kind of more or less turns into a minotaur is cooler than he is. Yes, it's... Uh, and it starts, it starts the whole like, oh, is is he dead? Is he not? Oh, no. With Loki. You know what's bad? When even the MCU itself kind of makes fun of you in Endgame. Yeah. When they're rehashing the ether because they assume everyone forgot about that movie and even Thor is too hammered to even talk about how bad that movie is. Yeah. It's just mm, it's not a good film. It, it there's fun little tiny moments in it, but it just ugh. Yeah. Let's not dwell any longer on it. What's your number twenty? Iron Man three. Okay. Mine I'm not quite there yet, but I'm close. Um, why do you not like Iron Man 3? Um, besides it being, oh, hey, look, it's another villain. Well, we're going to build up the entire film to have a really cool version of Mandarin only to pull the rug out from under you so that it's actually somebody that Tony screwed over again. 
And we actually somehow managed to avoid the, let's be honest, pretty racist version of the original Mandarin. They actually did a pretty good update of it. Yeah. Like, oh. And then they ruined it. Well, at least they yes. are retconning that and they're bringing him back. Okay, cool, I guess. Sure. Yeah. But, um, but I will, I'll save it for later because it's, I do have it later. I don't think it's 20 bad. Yes. But I, the fact of the matter is when in the finale, when he's doing all the, all the suit things, I didn't care. That should be a really cool moment. But I didn't care. I didn't care about Tony. I didn't care about the villain. There's nothing in this movie that builds it up to the point where I'm like, oh, man, I really feel for these people. Or like the, when um, when it's kind of reve- it's when it's revealed uh, Guy Pierce's actual motivations. I didn't care. I was like, OK, so Tony blew you off once at a party. So, yeah. like, get over it, dude. Like, it just it made it made the villain seem like this, emo- someone who's emotionally still a child. Like, it doesn't it didn't matter to me. I'm not gonna lie; it's just gonna sound horrible. I was actually kind of happy and excited when Gwyneth Paltrow fell into the fire. I was like, "Yes, they finally killed Pepper Potts." Yeah, yes, because she's kind of annoying in this one. She's annoying in all of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, except for one of them. Yeah, for the first one. Yes, they get everything um, right about the first one almost. Yes, they do. That's and much I don't higher on my list. Yes. Um. So yeah, I will talk about Iron Man three in a little bit here later, but because it's not twenty bad for me, my number twenty is the Incredible Hulk. Okay. In that, almost from here on out. We're, for at least for me personally, none of them I hate. They just aren't eh, take it or leave it type. We're in that for me. I'm in that take it or leave it camp. And Incredible Hulk, it's meh. It's fine. I'm not gonna remember anything about it though. Yeah, it's it's not as bad as the Ang Lee Hulk, but it's kind of just a muted eh of a movie. I have it a little higher for a few few reasons, but uh, we'll we'll talk about it later. Yeah. So moving from my tw- number twenty, uh, it might not have been worthy of number twenty, but it's worthy of number nineteen. Iron Man three. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't far um, behind. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Of the, I still to this day hate the Mandarin twist. Uh, but I was immediately taken out of the finale, just like you. With he builds all these Iron Man suits. Cool. Not cool when they fall apart so easy. Yeah. They literally break and fall apart within five to six seconds. Like, wait, you established that these are pretty durable. They're like portable tanks. So I would imagine you only get better at building them over time. Why are they breaking so easily? Yes. And there was an opportunity to have to explore all the really, really cool suits that he has. And they just kind of throw it against the wall and call it a day. It, that whole finale just felt like to me, Iron Man as a character is very 
toy friendly, but that whole finale was, okay, we can market the crap out of this and sell so many Iron Man toys. Look at this variation or this one or this one. And it was very clearly a toy move. Yep. But yeah, it's, it's better than two, but not nearly as good as one. I honestly, I, and this is actually, you'll see this soon. I hate three more than I hate two. Really? Yes. What's your number 19? <laughs> the the week of Ultron. <laughs> okay. I'm pretty close to you, actually. Yeah. I, it's... And for me, I, I think it's much less about the movie itself because there's a, a lot of, like, really, really cool stuff and some very, like, very comic book stuff to do. Like, oh, man, I'm going to destroy the planet by taking this one very specific city and dropping it on the planet. <laughs> Fingers crossed that city becomes Latvia that Doctor Doom controls. Yes, absolutely. But at the same time, I was like, Really? That's that's your plan, Mister Almighty Ultron? Okay. Also, it like you can't name this like Age of Ultron when the movie only takes place a few like a few weeks. Like that doesn't. It's not an age. Get out of here. Um. I also the way they treated Quicksilver, I didn't like. Um, and that has nothing to do with my feelings towards Hawkeye at that time in the series. Um, I just felt like, why would you introduce a character, have us build emotions for him, and then just kill him for no reason? Because there's no emotional payoff later at all. Well, let me piggyback. Uh, my number 18 is Age of Ultron. Um, yeah. It was very close behind it. Um, I actually felt no emotion for Quicksilver whatsoever. So when he died, I thought it was no big waste because I will go on record saying the accent that the Maximoff twins of uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson use are probably some of the worst movie accents I've heard in a long time. Those were atrocious. And And it's funny that Scarlet Witch's accent has just disappeared. Yes. It's Um, it's never quite clear where they're from either. So it's like, uh, okay. Yeah. There's there's some good stuff in it. The um, party scene where they're all trying to lift Thor's hammer, that's a good scene that sets up everyone's future motivation. There's a really good scene breakdown of more or less that whole movie, that whole scene can really give more character details than you first notice with all of them and how they approach lifting the hammer. Um, It's really fascinating. I actually am a big fan of the Hawkeye stuff because he really got the shaft in the first Avengers movie, but... I think having that family backstory only helps. Um, yes. And some people are just like, Hawkeye's still the most uninteresting. I'm like, eh, no, actually, I think this helps his case and makes him more well-rounded and interesting because he's by far the most human of the all the Avengers because he actually had a family to come home to before it was cool, Iron Man. Um, yeah. And, uh, and Oh, so that is something that irritates the crap out of me is this whole movie would not have had to happen had Iron Man not be so irresponsible. Yep. But then when something goes wrong, it's the team's fault. But when something goes right, it was just Iron Man. 
this is why I felt I feel uh, the the way that I do about Civil War is because like I don't because up to that point Tony does not have a moral leg to stand on. Yeah, that's always bothered me about Tony. But believe it or not, the thing I hate the most about Age of Ultron, and the thing that really, really ruins it for me, is Ultron himself. I think James Spader was absolutely miscast. Um, that voice is a thousand percent wrong. Um, I read the comics, and I just imagine this almost like Brainiac-type voice of like a deep, metallic, eerie voice, not schmarmy and one-liner type it just didn't feel right that, of like this giant metal man cracking wise with iron man it, it, in that uh, that uh, honestly irritated me like anytime he started cracking jokes i was like who are you like stop it just really doesn't it didn't work you can have a smart aleck villain i.e loki that works but that's because loki doesn't look like he can beat the crap out of anybody. Ultron is big and powerful, but he's got the voice of James Spider. It just didn't work for me. Yeah, it was, it, there was a lot of it that didn't work. And it's unfortunate because of how they ended it. We can all, all of us can be like, well, he could still be hiding somewhere. No, probably not. I don't think they're keen to not, revisit it. It's, there was no reason to end it the way to to have that moment be the way they did. Turn the, they were, turn all the leftover Ultrons into Doombots. You're pushing it. You're really pushing it. I would be okay with that. I know you would. What's your eighteen? Um, eighteen is Iron Man two. And it's okay. I'm at this. I'm uh, after this. After eighteen, I'm about until we get maybe towards maybe nine, eight, or seven. Like really, just like I could do with or without. Like they were good, but uh, you know. But no, I I felt like Iron Man two mainly because of Mister Hammer, and because Sam Rockwell of some, can do no wrong. Let's be honest. Dude, he's so entertaining. Like every scene that he's in, I am just invested in how much I dislike his character. <laughs> but like also really like him at the same time. Um I think the way that Colson talks to Tony, not Colson, uh Fury, the way that Fury treats Tony kind of like a child most of the movie. I enjoy the crap out of that, but that might be just because of how much I hate Tony. He deserves it. Yeah. He's, he, he's, as we've said, he's a very irresponsible person. And people just think he's the coolest guy. I'm like, he's got cool tech, but as a role model, he is not. No, he is not. What you got for number 17, my man? It pains me to say this because I know a lot of people like this one, um, but it, it's another second installment, but I don't think it holds a candle to the first one at all. And it's probably one of the most forgettable Marvel movies for me in that I genuinely can't remember anything except for the death at the end. And that's Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Okay. Yeah, I have a have it up a few more notches, but yeah, it's, it's down here with... It's just... Meh. It's yeah. fine. That first one was such a breath of fresh air and originality. 
Um, and the second one was just recycled jokes. Also, it started the unfortunate downward trajectory of the character of Drax, who yes. the first one, he was this big muscle guy that didn't get sarcasm that was very deadpan humor. The second one, he just became a moron that was the punching bag of jokes with his sensitive nipples and just being a oddball. It just didn't yeah. work. And it's a trend that's continued that, yes, he's got some funny moments, but I much preferred Guardians 1 Drax over anything else. The only thing that really is memorable about the, about the movie and the one thing that redeems it more than anything else is uh, Yondu and the I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. And holy crap, we actually have a death that's meaningful and a character that's going to stay dead. And it was impactful. Shocker. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about it here in a few notches. But my number 17 is uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Okay. Yeah, I have that one up a couple more notches. Yeah, it's... it. I wanted to really like it, and there's some really fun, cool parts, especially like the chemistry between Ant Man and Wasp. But um, it's it's easy, easily forgettable. I will say though, Ant Man and the Wasp is actually higher for me than Ant Man. Really, Ant Man is my number sixteen. Okay, I liked it. It was fine. Maybe I was just not in the right mindset when I first watched it, but not, but. Uh, I didn't see Ant-Man in theaters. It was the first MCU movie that I didn't see in theaters just because I didn't think it would really play into the larger universe. And even after seeing Endgame, I still hold that opinion that the Ant-Man movies are good because they're the break in the action because you don't have to watch them. Um, They're the good, like, side missions. They're the fun side missions with enjoyable characters, but they're never the must-watches of the MCU, I think. Um, and that was really evident in the first Ant-Man. It was fine. Paul Rudd is just Paul Rudd. He's always great. Um, but Yellow Jacket was a meh villain. I don't... He was discount Obadiah Stane from the first Iron Man, basically. Yep. Um, if nothing else, Ant-Man blessed us with the greatness that is Michael Pena's character. Yes. <laughs> Just thank you, Michael Pena. Yes, he's fantastic. But yeah, um, Ant-Man, it was fine. No harm, no foul. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably going to catch the flack for this, for my number 16. I have Captain America and the first Avenger. No, I I know a lot of people that aren't super high on it. Uh, my mom does not like it. That one's definitely the bottom of her list because she doesn't enjoy him getting picked on so much. I have it definitely up a few more spots, but I can see where you're coming from from, from it. I would say in terms of all the origin movies of Phase 1, it might be the weakest. It fe- I feel and it's weird because so much like really cool stuff happens, but I also feel like it's the most bland of the origin stories. True. And, um, and I've had a journey with it, but I'll talk about it later when it comes up on mine. Yeah. I, okay. I mean, I just, I think there's something about the fact that in, you know what, maybe it's because we've gotten so many world war two movies over the years. It felt like, Oh, okay. Well, this is, this just feels like another 
American fighting Nazi Germany. It didn't feel like, oh, we're seeing the evolution of a, of a character. It, it felt like, oh, we just have someone who got superpowers during World War II. Well, if you wanted character development and a character arc, all you had to do was just wait for the next one. Oh, I'm aware. Oh, oh man. <sighs> Can't wait to talk uh, about that what's, one. What's your number 15? This is the one that, above any other movies on this list that we're going to talk about, is the one movie that I really wish wasn't in the spot that it is. But it is what it is. My number 15 is Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, I have that, that's up a few more notches, but a lot of these, like from like ten to sixteen, is a lot of they could have been they could be in any order. But yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. Yeah, I I'll talk about it later. Homecoming to me is just fantastic, and I loved it. So my expectations were really high from Far From Home, and I won't say it was an out. Far From Home was an out-and-out disappointment. It's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. But I feel like a lot of the time, it's kind of the Dark Knight syndrome of it's more of the villain's movie than it is the hero's movie. And don't get me wrong, Jake Gyllenhaal knocks it out of the park as Mysterio. He is so perfect, in fact, that even diehard comic book fans are going, well, maybe there is a chance that he's actually good this time around. Oh, nope, he's evil. Um... But I wasn't a huge fan of the fact that Mysterio was a ex-Stark employee because, again, we had to shoehorn everything. Uh, but more than anything else, they doubled down on the fact that this Spider-Man is just Iron Man Jr. And I really hated that. That was something I struggled yes. with with Spider-Man Homecoming of it really undermines the intelligence of Peter Parker. But some people will be like, but he builds his own suit. Yeah, he builds his own suit using Stark tech. That's cheating. He's still Iron Man Jr. in this, if not yeah. more so, because he relies even more on the Iron Man suit. And yeah, maybe and now that Tony's dead, we can finally move past this and we can get the classic red and blue and just swinging through the streets of New York. Like they set it up for the next one to be more classic Spider-Man. And I really hope we get that. But this was really disappointing for me of we didn't get an, a whole lot of Spider-Man action and the Spider-Man action that we did get, maybe I'm too much of a costume person. I wasn't digging the night monkey suit. I wasn't digging the red and black. Um, it also Spider-Man needs to be in New York. That's part of his thing. And I thought the novelty of being in Europe would be a fun idea. It just felt really odd and, for a lot of the movie, it felt like an MCU movie, but not a Spider-Man movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. It's not a bad movie, but for me, it was a tad disappointing. I'll say that. Doesn't mean I'm not excited for the next Spider-Man, uh, but this one I thought could have been a lot stronger, especially coming back off the back of its predecessor. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. Um, number 15 for me is, the Guardian, is Guardians 2. So yeah, it's uh, I can echo that set, set, uh, sentiment quite a lot of uh, some of uh, the second movie coming off the back of its predecessor, something like Guardians of the Galaxy that felt really fresh, felt really like really new, didn't 
feel like the rest of the MCU. And to be honest, still doesn't feel like the rest of the MCU. And I, th- I think that's why it shines so much. But Guardians 2, like you said, the uh, the way that they've turned Drax into this the butt of the joke well like some of the stuff he kind of says it's like i want to love you drax but you're a moron and kind of a jerk but also um piggybacking off that the guardians are always kind of lovable jerks they're awful to mantis like they are that like that's the way drax treats her they meant they play it off as comedy, but it really isn't funny to me. It's actually more just mean spirited. It is like, and they keep trying to make the joke like, "Oh, haha, he's You're so he's unattractive." I'm like, she's really not. Palm Khalif is wonderful. Yes, it, he's he's obviously they're trying. I I can see what they're doing in the sense of we're trying to say that he doesn't know how to communicate, blah blah blah. But like it it doesn't come across that way. It comes across like he's being a kind of a dickhole for yeah, lack of a better. I mean, I could say other words, but we're trying to be family friendly here. But, um, and like even rocket rocket comes off like is easily one of my favorite characters in the MCU. But in this film, he, I, he's yeah, just he good in the first of, one, second one, not so strong, but then gets it back in end game. Like rocket and end game is great. Exactly. I, I love Rocket, but he in the second one, I it's like somebody else wrote too. It, I don't understand it. It's like Which, somebody saw Admittedly, there was a lot going on in James Gunn's life at the time, so I think real life I, yeah. may have been a little a lot of stuff was on his mind at the time. Yeah, and given uh, and even like the twist, spoiler alert, when Ego t- says that he gave uh, Quinn's, Quill's mom cancer, there's never a reason. It, he sounds just like this vindictive dude that he he can do whatever he wants. And at that point, we haven't built Ego at all to be a bad guy. So it was like when it happened, it was like, wait, why? That's it out of the blue. Okay. Yeah, the seeds were not planted well for that. I will say the best thing about two is the uh, Gamora Nebula arc. Yes, that really like accelerated big time because that that was kind of an, a thing in Guardians One, but this really stepped it up in the second one. Yes, it's it's been very. I that is one of my favorite things to watch because it is and it play it plays out later in endgame but the idea that gamora is this free woman now from thanos and it's like no like nebula nebula you don't have to do what he says even if you think you need his approval there's no reason to have his approval you don't need it like it like ah it, it's such a good good like arc that I think is smack dab in the middle of a very eh movie. Yeah, it there's a lot of forgettableness. Um top like the rest of these are like good to great. So just because it's 14 doesn't mean it's bad by any stretch. So don't kill me for this one. But number 14 for me is Black Panther. Okay. I like it a lot. 
Um, I will say it started kind of slow for me. Um, of not really getting into it very much. But I do remember when I first saw it in theaters, the immediate pivot point to, okay, now I'm on board for this movie, is the first fight scene for the throne between uh, T'Challa and M'Baku on the yes. cliffside. Because that was not a type of fight that had ever been seen before in the MCU of just the way it was shot of normally it's like superpowered beings uh, with weapons and whatnot. This is, I will stab you with spears and I will catch you in a rear naked choke and try and kill you, basically. It, this is a fight to yeah. the death, bare-knuckle style. And also, Andy Circus is always a win, and I'm ashamed that they killed him so soon because he was so much fun. Yeah, that is an issue I have with the film. I do have the have Black Panther much higher, but yeah, it, it's... Andy Sir, especially since they kind of built him up in, in um, Age, Age of Ultron. Ultron yeah. They it killed him like, so oh, hard hey, that he went to DC. Yeah, that's sad. But um, Killmonger is great. Why, the reason, though, that this movie is 14 and not higher is I think this is not one of Marvel's best finales. It reminds me a lot of Wonder Woman, of great movie up until the big fight scene and then the wheels start to come off. Um, Ares not great in Wonder Woman. The big thing with Black Panther, though, is the CGI in that final fight is real bad. Um, yeah. And the decision, I get why they have like a purple for Black Panther and a gold for Killmongers is so that you can tell them apart, even though they're in the same suit. That looked bad. The location for the fight was just not the best. And it, I don't know, it wasn't their best final fight. I'll say that. It was cool when he came back. He's just like, as you can see, I am not dead. I was like, that's awesome. Um, then the wheels started to fall off a little bit. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll talk more on it later. But yeah, it's it's not the strongest finale, but it's also at the same time one of the strongest finales in terms of its message. In that the villain actually did change the hero. Yes, and, the and the villain, that's that's insane. Yes, and that the the villain actually like is not one off because he's going to jail. He's one off because he's he, he's dead, like dead, dead. We'll see. Lazarus yeah. Pitt in the MCU. <laughs> um, what are we on? Fourteen? Yeah. I I that's where Ant Man is for me. Okay. Uh, I. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Uh, the CGI isn't terrible for me. I think the yellow jacket, while yes, is just <sighs> is just Jeff Bridges all over again. Um, there's a lot. I think there's a lot of fun things that happen, like with the train in the house. Like I, there's some fun stuff that I think they did with it, and that's why I think it's a little higher. Than maybe uh, than, than what you have it as potentially. Um, yeah, Ant Man's fine, but yeah, I think Ant Man and the Wasp is better. But I'll talk about that later. I swear I did not do this on purpose in my notes. This is a complete happy accident. That number thirteen, the cursed number, belongs to Doctor Strange. There. <laughs> Um, I like, but don't love Dr. Strange, uh, due in no small part to my 
somewhat, okay, major love affair with Benedict Cumberbatch. Again, pitch-perfect casting by Marvel. Um, and I thought Tilda Swinton was pretty good, Ancient One. I know a lot of people have issues with her, but I think she was fine. Uh, this movie gets as high as it does just because of the visuals more than anything else. It has some of the best visuals of any Marvel movie. They really just go balls to the wall of this is a full-on comic book movie. We're going to recreate Jack Kirby's art to the best of our ability. Um, story can be a little convoluted, I'll give you that, and it does not have the best villain by any stretch of the imagination, but a pretty solid first outing that made me want more of Doctor Strange. I will say he... I significantly enjoyed him more in Infinity War and Endgame and look forward to in the Multiverse of Madness more than anything else. His first outing was just fine, but the best thing is Doctor Strange introduced us to the greatness that is Wong. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of really good things about Doctor Strange in the book. I have it. I personally have it right on that cusp of where movies for me are not just like, eh, take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. Um, my thirteen is far from home. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it like we, t- we talked about. It's it feels weird to not be in New York. It feels that I'm not a huge fan of the um of the suits. Even when he in like I said, t- I think I told you this when I saw it. The moment like the quote unquote big reveal of the suit that he makes. Is so like, eh? Like yeah, he's they, just they on the side of a plane. Yeah, they botch it in the in the movie. Like, okay, and the, even the suit itself is not that different. It's not that impressive. Um, and I know this second cinema sins reference in this, in, in this episode, which I hope to never make it make a habit of that, but. Um, if you watch the CinemaSins on on Far From Home, it's sadly very accurate. Uh, the way that the movie treats Peter's intelligence throughout the film is, is really tough. Like, you can't have a kid who was making Empire Strikes Back references in Civil War be like, oh, yeah, I love Van Halen when ACDC is playing. Like, that doesn't make sense. And for him to struggle with his innocence out of nowhere, even though I guess we didn't. It was an infinity war. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it doesn't, I don't know. It's really, really, really weird. Also. Um, um, And I didn't talk about it before. And I, cause I completely forgot about it. The whole reveal of my spider sense works now. It catches the gun uh, on Mysterio actually bothers me because of how poorly it's edited. Yes. Because you don't clearly see what's happening. Yeah. And it, it's one of those like, oh, it makes it seem like his spider sense only works when he focuses. Not like one of those, not, not like an involuntary response. Oh, I was more talking about when he stops Mysterio's bullet, when he like catches the gun. Yes. That was shot. That was edited so weird of like, I had to watch a couple times to be like, oh, that's what's happening. But it, it didn't really work for me. It just... It was weird. And the relationship between MJ and Peter, it it feels too awkward. 
I, I'm coming around to it, but I still don't like the fact that she's MJ. I wish they would have just created a new character. Yeah, it's... I don't like it. There's just a lot that I don't like. Um, I I will always say that I hate that Spider-Man villains and Iron Man villains have to be people that Tony screwed over at one point. Like, it just... It really cheapens the motivation. It shrinks the world instead of growing it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just... I don't... It... it, it, it the way that they accidentally figure out what um, Mysterio is up to, like completely by accident. Yeah, they it, really undercut Peter's intelligence in Far From Home. Which I think is why I got, I was more upset about than anything else. Because while, yes, the Amazing Spider-Man series is not good, especially the second. His own stuff and shows him yeah. making mistakes making it. Even especially, I think one of my favorite moments in Amazing Spider-Man Two, despite the debacle that is that movie, is him build figuring out how to build new web slingers that are resistant to the electrical currents from Electro. Like, yeah, to me, like that's such a cool, like very pinnacle Spider-Man Peter Parker moment that I think. Far from home feels like it just goes. Yeah, he we can sit here and say that he's a nerd and have him make um, pop culture references, but we're gonna still make him kind of sound like a little bit of an idiot. Yeah, I still don't like that he's a Stark tech, and people are like, "What do you expect him to do? Stitch up his own his own suit by hand?" Yes, yes. actually, I do. Absolutely. I mean, because he I'm learned okay how to him. sew because he had to, because he makes his own stuff. He doesn't rely on yes. other people's gear because he can't afford it. I still think the best scene ever for Spider-Man is Civil War, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, I, he, he, it just, there's so much that, so much more than this movie does, that this movie does wrong than it does right. Yeah. I'm still optimistic for the next one, but yeah. this was disappointing and to say the least. Honestly, as much as I love that uh, that Simmons is back for uh, trip for Triple J, I I feel like that was more of Marvel going. Uh, well, nobody else can see anybody in this role, so we're not even going to try. I who is it? So I I heard Carl Urban's name thrown around which i thought could have been fun i mean no, i heard terry cruz and i was all on yeah, board I heard for that. that as well which could have been a lot of fun and could have felt fresh in something uh, new. you know in a perfect world who i would have cast as j jonah jameson if i couldn't have jk simmons who ice cube exactly like i something i i felt like having simmons there while i was happy that he he they recap they put him in this i felt like I was like, oh, that's just, that's because no, you feel like nobody else can see him as, see anybody else as Jake, as Triple J. Like, Because okay. no one else can be Triple J. Nah, see, but like, if you don't give any, anybody an opportunity, you'll never know. I don't care. I want J.K. Simmons for life. <laughs> okay. He's even voicing the animated stuff. There is no one else. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, number 12 for me, Ant-Man and the Wasp. 
Okay. I like it better than the first one, actually. I think the humor works better. I think the dynamic between um, Hope and Scott is really strong. I like the fact that he's still the bumbling, incompetent hero. I like his whole efforts to try and stay in quarantine and in lockdown. Um, yes. I like the new characters with Lawrence Fishburne. I thought Ghost was just kind of there, but... I think the the concept of Ghost was very interesting to me, yes. but the execution was like, uh, what? Okay. Um, by and large, I think it improves on almost everything about the first Ant-Man. However, now I'm coming up with a thought that it's kind of confusing me. I hadn't thought about it until just now. Why is Michelle Pfeiffer still the same age as Kirk Douglas, as Michael Douglas? <laughs> Yep. Because she was stuck in the quantum realm where there is no time. Yep. Because <laughs> Scott I, was stuck in there issues. for five years and didn't even realize it and didn't age. She was stuck in there for 30 years and maybe she ages like a year or two, but she still yeah. aged at the same rate that Michael Douglas did. Yeah, while it's while Endgame is a good movie, there it does have some major issues in my opinion. But yeah, Ant Man and the Wasp, it's fun, good supporting characters. Nowhere near the best of the MCU, though. Uh, what's your twelve? Yeah. Uh, I have Incredible Hulk, and that's mainly because I love Edward Norton's performance. Interesting. I mean, okay, then. while. Didn't figure well, it to be he, that high, mainly because I forgot about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's not a lot of stuff to really remember in this film, but the way that Edward uh, that uh, Edward kind of approaches Bruce Banner, I I, I really liked. Um, I find like that this more of a comic book accurate Bruce Banner than as much as I love him, Mark Ruffalo's. Uh, I don't know. It, I'm 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 kind of on the fence about it because uh, this is at least better than the Hulk movie before. <laughs> I also always say that Ruffalo is better because there needs to be a difference between Banner and Hulk, and yeah, Norton always seemed like the crazy man that absolutely could be the Hulk, but that kind of gives him away too much because he's already. Crazy. It would be like having Jack Nicholson as the Hulk, because you already suspect that something ain't right there. Yeah, or 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 Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Anyway, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> my number on. eleven, Captain America: The First Avenger. Um, okay. I've come a long way with this one. Um, I did not like this movie the first time I watched it. I thought it was just fine, and the World War II setting didn't do it for me. Uh, but over time, I've grown to appreciate this movie more and more. Actually, it'll never be like my top five. But uh, every time I watch it from here on out, I enjoy it just a tad bit more. But it doesn't move the needle higher in the rankings for me. Um, it gets a lot of the little things right. Um, I don't think Stanley Tucci gets nearly enough appreciation for his role as the guy that more or less inspires Captain America to be Captain America. Um, yeah. There's a lot of great things that are set up in the first Captain America that don't get paid off until Endgame, but still um, they pay off for the people that are paying attention. Like, 
I love, love, love with everything in my being the fact that Stanley Tucci is just like, we're not looking for a soldier. We are looking for a good man. And what does Cap say to Falcon when he gives him the shield? He says, you're a good man, Sam. Yep. Which to me might bring into question like what he actually feels about Bucky, but that might be looking too much into it. Anyway. Bucky didn't deserve it. He has too much blood on his hands. Yeah, at least for now. But also, the moment that really stands with me in the Captain America, the first Avenger, and just like personifies Cap, even more so than the I can do this all day, is when he's still scrawny little Cap, when Tommy Lee Jones because everyone forgets Tommy Lee Jones is in that movie, throws the dummy grenade, and he thinks so little of himself that he thinks he has nothing to do that he can serve more for his country than just dive on the grenade and make sure everyone else is okay. Yeah. Which plays right into the Iron Man thing of, um, you're not one to lay down and let the other guy crawl over you. I'm like, yep. bring that full circle. Um, the arc that he, uh, that he goes through, I just really enjoy. I still do not really care for Haley Atwell's Peggy Carter. I think she's just really meh. Um, yeah. And Captain America would see better days ahead, but I think it was a solid introduction, even if we would never see Hugo Weaving's Red Skull ever again. And before you come Which at is- me, people in the comments, I know we see Red Skull again, but it's not Hugo Weaving's. Look it up. Um, yeah. It It's a fine first entry. I think it did a pretty decent job of establishing Captain America and did the pretty difficult task of making of the World War II setting not feel completely out of left field and odd. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, they did a decent job of bringing the Tesseract without feeling like it was shoehorned in. It's the right amount of cheesy. Yes. What I do like is they never really allude to the Tesseract being something a part of a bigger spectrum of of story until kind of the end. So it never feels like, oh, we're building to something. It's more of, okay, cool. So Red Skull's got this thing and it's actually pretty destructive. So we really should do something about it. Yep. All right. What's your number 11? Uh, this is to me where things start to kind of go, all right, we're on to something here, uh, with the guardians of the galaxy. Okay. Yeah. I'm not too far off. Yeah. It's, I, I like we've, we've been saying this whole episode, like it, guardians of the galaxy is, the, is a breath of fresh air and it's, it's different, but not too different. It's quippy, but not too quippy. Uh, the characters are are likable but brash. Um, I, I still think like the the breakdown that Ra- Raccoon has, like the dr- uh, sorry, the breakdown that Drunk Rocket has <laughs> on the Collector's Planet, still kind of gets to me. Of like, you, up until that point, Rocket's just kind of this guy that creates things, and then all of a sudden, you kind of realize he's like, yo, like. You try being being broken down and then put back together multiple times. Like I didn't have to be know. made. Yeah, like oh, dude, get out of here! I wasn't ready to cry in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Get stop. We are Groot. Stop. Like I remember the first time I saw it in the theater. It's just like, am I tearing up over a tree? I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, By the same and, guy that did Iron Giant, he does it again. <laughs> I uh, 
Uh, in as much as a one-off as he is, I, I don't mind Rowan as much. Eh, um, I he's he's okay. He's cool enough and intimidating enough for me to feel like okay, he we've got to do something about him. But I'm okay with him being a one-off because I don't feel like he's interesting enough to do something else with. Yeah, I, he's bland. I'll talk about later, but because I have it just a little bit higher than you do. Guardians is like renewed people's interest in movie soundtracks again. Yep. And now everyone, the first question everyone's mind is for Guardians 3 is, besides is Thor going to be there, is, so what's going to be on the soundtrack? You should have this on the soundtrack. And James Gunn's just going, can you all stop please asking me about this? Yep. (laughs) Because volume two was okay. Yeah, Volume 2's soundtrack was not nearly as good. Noticeable lack of Jackson 5. (laughs) Well, we're there. We are now in the top 10, as weird as that is to say. Um, Yeah. For my number 10, I have one that I've liked ever since day one, and now people seem to forget about it, or even it's the cool thing to not like this movie as much or hate on it, which I don't think is understandable at all. I... We're getting to the point that I think this is actually becoming one of the more underrated movies in the MCU. My number 10, the first Thor. (gasps) Okay, okay, okay. I really, really enjoy this one. Is the story a little pretty straightforward of the character arc of Braddy Prince has to go back to Noble Warrior? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. But everyone is is so perfectly cast, except for... Chris Hemsworth's weird mustard blonde eyebrows. Um, but Chris Hemsworth, perfect as Thor. Loki, great, before I began to become disinterested because he got overused. Idris Elba as Heimdall. The Warriors 3, fantastic. Um, just the whole ensemble was great. Also, I'm still a little biased in the fact that it's one of the few times we actually get to see Thor with the winged helmet that mm-hmm. holy crap, they made it look amazing and they were able to pull it off. And then for some reason they immediately took the helmet away from him and wouldn't return it to him for till one scene in Ragnarok. Give the man back his winged helmet. It's the best. Um, <laughs> yes. But I um, love more than anything when he breaks into the crash site for the hammer. That's a great scene in and of itself when he's got to beat everybody and Hawkeye gets up and he's just like, Golson, give me the order. I'm starting to root for this guy. And he goes to get the hammer and he fails. That moment does more character development and gives me more reason to care for the character than anything he had done up until that point of you failed. You are now partly human and you know what it's like to fail and i want to see you as a character get back up um yeah i feel like we don't talk about the humor nearly enough because still to this day you know plenty of people will quote that i like this drink another as they crash yeah. their cup one uh, uh, i still think it's one of the more underrated jokes uh it's either my name's Colson. All right, son of Cole. here's what we're gonna do that joke is good yeah. as well as the um he goes into the pet shop um, I need a horse. We don't sell horses. We just sell cats and dogs. Well, give me one of them large enough to ride. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, like the humor just works. I think Kenneth Branagh knocked it out of the park from a director's standpoint. I, I don't feel like we talk about the first Thor nearly enough. I, for some reason, I see a lot of people hating on it nowadays because it's the cool thing, and they think it's one of the more boring ones. I really, really dig that first Thor movie. Yep, I'll talk about it when I talk about it. All righty, what's your number ten? Um, Doctor Strange. Okay, I actually have it a little high, a lot higher than you, but I think partly because I've always been interested in how they're going to pull this off. Um, I feel like it was a very ballsy move to basically have your main villain of the film not really appear until the last like 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that um, is, for me though that's one of the weaknesses is um what what Kaecilius, that's the guy's name. He's just kind of yeah. there. He is, but I feel like that whole scene of how Doctor Strange approaches fighting him it, to me shows how ingenious he is and how he's like, I'll figure this out one way way or another, especially now that I have the time stone. (laughs) And I think there's some really fun moments, even like towards the beginning when um, he's trying to guess the song years and stuff like that during like mid surgery. And maybe that's because I love Scrubs so much. I feel like that's uh, Scrubs and uh, MASH. And I feel like that's very much something that would happen in that time. It just, it felt real. I, I And I, I, I'm i like you, I love Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I, I will say though, the one knock I have against uh, Cumberbatch in Doctor Strange, his American accent needs work. He sounds like Dr. House. See, I love that he sounds like Dr. House. But both of them are not Americans trying to do a bad American accent. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I felt like the the mental image of House becoming Sorcerer Supreme is too hilarious to not like to not forget about. But I I, I really enjoy uh, Dr. Strange. I think like you said, the visuals for me are what really did it. And I think it from Dr. Strange, it kind of became a turning point of, you know what? Let's do stuff visually in our films that nobody else can do. A, because we're Marvel. B, because we're Disney. C, because we have the money and the time to actually do this. And D, we've earned it. We've like work yes. our way up to this madness. Yes, absolutely. So, cause I think from that, from Dr. Strange on, uh, the MCU with some exceptions really does try to push the envelope visually. Yeah. It really tries to expand the universe on multiple planes. Yes. Ah, planes. I know I did it on purpose. <laughs> what you got for number nine, my man? Uh, here's where I'm going to have guardians of the galaxy. Okay. The first one. I really, really dig it. Uh, Like I said, a tree made me cry with We Are Groot because at that point you're just like, I mean, he can grow back, but we don't know the extent of his growing back abilities. Um, Just the humor. It was Marvel humor that we come to know, but it wasn't at the same time. Um, 
and like just the quips that they were using and the way that they're interacting was completely different. Um, still, and again, I lament that Drax has changed so much. Guardians One Drax is still the best of. You can't tell him any jokes; it'll just go over his head. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. Uh, I think one of my favorite things is um, when they're getting processed at the jail and rocket makes this snide remark of basically like I've broken out of all the jails, we would, you know, prisons, we won't be here long. <laughs> also, can we talk about the unsung hero of guardians of the galaxy that we don't talk about nearly enough? And that's John C. Riley. Dude, my guy, he was so good. <laughs> He's so good. This uh, this is kind of was kind of the first thing that Riley did that was a little bit more serious, wasn't it? Like, I um, might be wrong he, on that. What year did Wreck-It Ralph come out? Oh, I, I don't think know. Wreck-It Ralph he, was he, before that. He did something before that, before this though. With um, I believe it's Walking Phoenix. I don't remember though. <laughs> I don't know why, but my immediate thought was Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Get out of here. Um, Which is a parody of Joaquin Phoenix's Walk the Line. (laughs) Uh, But no, yeah. uh, John C. Riley's, I think to me, this is the first time I kind of noticed him, noticed him. And And then I really noticed him, noticed him in Kong Skull Island, which case he's the best thing about that movie. Yes. Yeah. Like like the entire supporting cast, uh, I've said it before, soundtrack, one of the best movie soundtracks Ever. I'm still jamming out to that in my car from time to time. Uh, just fantastic. Great visuals. Just great cast. All around a lot of fun. Only weakness I think the movie has is I think the villain is a bit lackluster. But for a while there, that was the MCU in a nutshell. Um, yeah. But as a whole, I, Guardians I is just so much fun. Yeah, he he's there for a purpose and he fulfills the purpose. It's not like... We're asking. We were asking a lot from him for in this film, so it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, you did your thing. All right, what's your number nine? Black Panther. Really? Wow. Yeah, I I have a little higher on up here. Um, I think I I agree with what you said about the final film, the final fight. Um, but I think because of the aftermath of the final fight in that our hero changes in that he's like, it's one of the things that causes our hero to be like, maybe I need to rethink some things. I think that elevates a lot of the, of the adventure that gets us to that point in the film. Um, I think, uh, like you said, I love the, the first fight. Um, when the when the mountain tribe comes and the, there's so many iconic moments in that that I think have seeped into uh, popular culture that I don't think any other film ha- has really done with the uh, the Wanda Wakanda Forever um, the Gates uh, Challenge Day like I've I guess because I, I've worked in kitchens most of my life um, you, you meet a lot of the same kinds of people and like on a hard day, you know, be like, come on guys, it's challenge day. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that comes from this film that really resonated with the culture that 
of, of our time. Not just like, hey, let's make a black superhero, but also it made a black superhero that you could be proud of and not just like, oh, yeah, that's steel. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it was it was really I think it was. Do I think it's a really incredible movie? No, it, it's a good it's a pretty it's a pretty good movie, but it's definitely something culturally that I don't think will be forgotten. Agreed. My only request for Black Panther 2, can we please give him the high-collared cape? Yes, just for fun. Just because I love that design. Um, my number eight is the one and only time that I've ever liked this character from start to finish, Iron Man, the first one. Ah, yay! Because... This is what started the MCU off proper, and it still, to me, is one of the most rewatchable movies in the MCU, and it's the last time I liked Iron Man because it's the only time they ever had growth and accountability for his actions and underwent an arc. Yeah. And Which is crazy because I also have it at eight. Oh, fantastic. Um, yes. It's just, there's so many little details that they remember that just are great. Like, I bawled my eyes out in Endgame when his daughter's just like, can I have a cheeseburger? I'm like, ugh. Crushes yeah. me. Because you latch on to that first Iron Man so much. And while I eventually grew to hate the character of Iron Man, that first one was so good and he became such a character that you can immediately get behind. But also for 2008, the CGI still really, really holds up to the point of not knowing at times what's the physical stuff and what's the CGI. Yeah, I, I agree. And there's there's some really, really cool moments that I don't think, A, we've never seen before, and B, had really ever seen since. Um, like the scene where that tank shoots at him and misses, and he just shoots and shoots a little missile and it blows up the entire tank. Like, and he walks away was, from it, sparking thousands of nerdy wallpapers for the rest of time. Oh, yeah, I agreed. But it was such a unique moment that I, I don't think we had ever seen before. And there's a lot of stuff, um, like like the scenes of him learning how to fly with his new, his new suit. Like, that was incredible. And even though the moments where he's like, you got you to run before you can walk, Jarvis. And Jarvis is like, uh, wait, no, <laughs> hold on. It's also just, again, like I said, little moments of him interacting with his droids. If you douse me again and I'm not on fire, I'm donating you to a city college. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, like, I agree. It's the last time for me it, when Tony actually shows some growth. Actually, is like, yo, like, I've got some stuff going on behind the scenes that I need to address. And like when, I can't... Um, What's her name? Christine Everhart, the uh, reporter that he slept with. It's just like, you allowed this to happen, and she gives him all the pictures from Golmira. He immediately stops what he's doing and immediately goes over there to try and get some answers for what happened, like immediately trying to take responsibility and figure out what's going on. And Yeah, because yeah, he didn't know. And we talk about MCU not having great villains. Obadiah Stane is pretty cookie-cutter, but he's really not that bad. He's a pretty enjoyable first villain for the MCU. I, I mean, that's because it's Jeff Bridges, bro. 
He did start the annoying trend of the first villain always has to be the reverse version of whatever our hero is. Yeah. But that's nothing new for the MCU. It For comic book movies, I mean, the MCU didn't pioneer that. It's just an annoying trope I see. Um, but yeah, that first Iron Man is just so much fun. It's got this cool factor that a lot of other MCU movies don't have. And I don't know how to properly describe it. It really revived, much like Guardians of the Galaxy, it really revived uh, a love for like old, like classic rock. Uh, just the use of ACDC, the use of Ozzy Osbourne, like that kind of, that music was very iconic and in, in, in used in the, in the film. For sure. We, I feel like at times we don't get John Favreau nearly enough credit for that first Iron I mean, Man. I, I mean, some people might not, but I mean, I love me some John Favreau, so. Oh, we like him now, but I feel like we don't talk about his role in starting the MCU. Like, we always give Kevin Feige and the Russo brothers credit. I'm like, Favreau started this off, guys. I, and honestly, I think for a long time, I didn't realize that, it, like, the guy that was playing Happy was the one that directed the first one. That more or less had to go to bat for Robert Downey Jr. to make sure he was the one that was cast? Yep. Which, yeah, that's awesome on your part, John Favreau. Yeah. And John, since then, has proved he's one heck of a director. And soon to be head of Lucasfilm. Mark my words. (laughs) I won't be surprised, honestly. Uh, At number seven, we have Infinity War for me. Okay. Um, I really, really like it. I genuinely can't think of any... Um, faults that I have with the movie, I just like six other movie Marvel movies better. I think it brought the stakes in big time with the snap at the end. But even before that, uh, it's re- considering how long it is, it's really well paced. Everyone gets their own time to shine and their own like little mini missions of Doctor Strange and Iron Man are in this section doing this thing. Cap and his crew are doing their own thing. Also, bearded cap is great cap. Yes, he is. And just that final battle in Wakanda to try and stall for time. Great. Uh, yeah, I off the top of my head, I can't think of any real major complaints with Infinity War. I really, really enjoy it. I just think there's six that I enjoy more. Fair enough. What's your number seven? I have... The Avengers. Okay, okay. Mine's definitely higher, but glad it's at least in the top 10. Yeah, um, the main thing I think is, while this is a great film, um, I think seeing the Avengers now in, in the light of all these years looking back at it, you know, being that they brought Coulson back for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., being that certain things that have happened since, uh, it kind of makes certain things that happen in Avengers feel cheap and not as big. I, I, I still stand by stand by my, my totem pole of, I don't think Avengers would have been as big if it wasn't preceded by if it didn't have all those solo movies before it building to it. Um, but that being said though, it is easily, you know, it's t- it's my like number seven, man. It's easily one of my favorite 
uh, and in my opinion, most rewatchable uh, of the yes. Avengers films. I will give you that. Even though it's not my number one, spoiler alert, I will say, hands down, Avengers is probably the one Marvel movie that I've seen more than any other by far because it is the most rewatchable. Also, because Joss Whedon's very specific about how he shoots stuff, it's by far the best looking. Yes. Like, it looks uh, so good in 4K. I, I will say I dislike the cap suit in this one the most. I'm not going to fight you on that one at all. <laughs> it's some, and I think it's he's mostly Puerto Rico just man. the helmet. Have you seen those? The what? Have you seen those memes that he's kept in Puerto Rico because he's actually the Puerto Rican flag instead? I mean, I've seen the ones that are Captain Texas because that's also the Texas flag. True. Anyway. Um. <laughs> yeah, that suit is... Yeah. It's 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 a little tough. Uh, the helmet, I think, is what really gets me. And, I, I, and he doesn't have it on for very much because I think they know it looks dumb. Yeah. But um, overall, it's... It is the pinnacle moment when all when the Avengers first come together. It's the pinnacle moment when everybody is actually working together. Um, as many questions as it raises, Mark Ruffalo's line of "That's <laughs> that, that's my secret cap. I'm always angry" is still super cool. <laughs> still oh. goosebumps of just. Heck yeah. And then you're like, it can't get any better than this. And then Age of Ultron came out and you're just like, you're right, it can't. <laughs> and then Endgame yeah. came out and like, oh, nope, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. That's why I think I'm I'm still upset. And I understand it's a licensing issue. Uh, but I think Mark, Mark Ruffalo, if there was ever a Hulk that deserved a move solo movie, it was it'd be Mark Ruffalo's. Maybe. I don't know. It's like a lot of Marvel properties. It's complicated. Yeah, it is. Well, my number six, I think that people at home will agree with me, just not Josh. Uh, my number six is Civil War. Actually, yeah. let's label it correctly. Captain America Civil War, because I feel like all too often people just label it Civil War. But that's one of the things that I like about this movie is, yes, it's called Civil War, but it still feels like a Captain America movie, and it revolves around him. It doesn't just devolve into Avengers 2.5. It's still clearly a Captain America movie. Um, and considering how big the cast is, I think it's incredibly well-balanced, and I think people are used in the right amount. Um, Hawkeye, key player in this movie, not overused. He doesn't have a lot of screen time, but he's used the perfect amount. Um it's. I know you didn't like how they introduced certain people. I think Civil War is a perfect place to introduce characters like Spider-Man and Black Panther. And also, just mini rant here. How they introduced Spider-Man in the MCU and the scene where he first meets uh, Tony Stark and they sit in his room is the single greatest introduction to Spider-Man and is one of the best Spider-Man scenes ever of immediately nailing the character of, I love, love, love the fact that Peter comes home with a keyboard that he dumpster dove for because he can't afford one. And if you look in the corner of his room, he has an old desktop computer from like the late 90s because he can't afford one. And he just probably 
stole that from a trash can somewhere because he can't afford it, but he still needs to do his stuff. Uh, he's got an old cracked flip phone because Aunt May can't afford it. And he's still concerns about his work more than anything else. He's just like, I can't go to Germany. I have a math test. It, mm-hmm. That's Peter. The way he talks to Iron Man, the way he just interacts, that's Spider-Man. It's a Spider-Man that was so desperately missing from far from home. Um, they just immediately nail the character of, um, yes, they may have borrowed some inspiration from that very first Christopher Reeve Superman movie, but he's just like, as much as I would like to play football, I couldn't then, so why should I be able to do it now? Because it wouldn't be fair. And she's like, he immediately gets the responsibility that comes with being Spider-Man, and he's so perfect at it. And I remember I hated the Spider-Man suit in that first trailer, but seeing it in action and seeing how he interacted with people, I was like, yes, please. And that's something that I feel like we've missed at times with the current Spider-Man movies is the quips, which for some reason were in Civil War and then they dropped it for Far From Home, of when he's fighting Falcon Winter Soldier, he's just like, dude, you have a metal arm? That's awesome. Like, I squealed with delight because that was Spider-Man taunting his enemies and still complimenting their tech. Yes. And I hope we get back to that. Um, And also... I'm not ashamed to say Civil War to me still has the single greatest end scene of all time when he's in his room and Aunt May gives him the ice pack and he moves his arm and the spider signals on the roof. I squealed like a small child because I never thought in a million years we would actually get the spider signal in a movie. And so we did. And my spider heart was very happy. I I mean... (sighs) Civil War is very hard for me because there are there are good stuff like the Spider-Man stuff I really really love. I will but, say though I kind of agree with you of the airport fight is one of the best fight scenes in the MCU. I wish that was the finale though. Yeah, because every like, fight after everything that after is that. really hard to follow. It, it, everything after that makes it seem weird. It's, um, this is going to be really, really oddly specific, and you'll only get it if you're a wrestling fan. It's WrestleMania 25. The um, airport fight is Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. It's not the main event, but it probably should have been. Yeah, it's that's how you end it the, there. Not because at that, at that particular point. Or at least rearrange some things. If Iron Man discovers a secret, then his forces fight Captain America. There's more stakes, and it's not just a sparring session. And I think that's why it upset me was because up until the point where the airport fight, airplane fight, airport. Oh my goodness, sorry. The airport fight happens. Both sides are firmly sticking to their moral high ground. High ground. Where, high ground. Um, where is? In the next 25 minutes, Tony flip-flops three or four times, and it just makes it – feels cheap. And he turns it more than Big Show. I don't know about that, but – so let's move on to number six. So, so since we were talking about things that I never thought I would ever see uh, in, in, a, in a movie, let alone a Marvel movie – uh, do you want to talk about homecoming with the with the spider wings, the web wing, the web wings? Okay, that's so what, I'm that's still what mad about that for a really weird reason. Um, okay, um, so like a week before that homecoming trailer came out, I made a video on the main YouTube channel saying 
um, things that I would like to see in a Spider-Man movie someday or like scenes or just specifics. And in my original script, I, well, not script. I didn't do scripts back then. Um, in, when I was recording it, I actually said spider wings, but I cut it out of the final video thinking, no, that's too outrageous. They, that was never going to happen. So when they show it in the trailer, I was like, gosh, dang it. And like flipped the table. <laughs> uh, but I, I think for me, the pinnacle moment of like, I mean, outside of all those scenes in, in Civil War, the pinnacle, like, yes, this is Spider-Man, is when he has that moment when he's crushed by everything. I can't talk about it yet. I can't talk about it yet. I know. I know. Why I know are you this, doing this, this to me? Yes, I know this one's a lot higher for you. Uh, but it's, I think this is the one instance where Tony Stark screwed me is was done very well and i think that's primarily of who played the villain michael keaton um, batman exactly bird like man played another bird man he's so good and i never thought that i would be legitimately terrified of vulture oh gosh dude when they're stopped at that stoplight and he's like good old spider-man always there to save the day I was like, oh, dude, that that awkward prom date car ride. That's one of the few times that they changed the comics and it actually worked for the better. Because Liz and Adrian Toomes should not be connected in the, are not connected in the comics. So, like, I remember seeing in the theaters and everyone just, (gasps) like, big old gasp of, oh, crap. You done messed up, Aaron. But I really like it because I think it... It makes, and I think that's why I, I didn't mind this one as much is because it was like, oh, he just happened to be an ex Stark employee, but he's got a personal. Actually, connection. no, he wasn't even a Stark employee. He wasn't. No, he was a, a contractor that cle- like was on cleanup crew, and his job got taken away by somebody that worked for Stark. Okay, okay, so he didn't so work for Stark, but he got his job taken away by someone yeah, and that reported to Stark. Yes, and then he's been uh, stealing Stark tech or whatever. But um, I, I think what may, builds him up more is that personal connect, that sudden out of nowhere personal connection to to, to Peter. Yeah, I'll talk about it more in a little. I bit. know you will. I, I didn't want to <laughs> put too much out. <laughs> torture your number six pull my hair out here but it's not too far away for me actually yeah oh i i have no doubt um my number five is one that i you haven't talked about yet actually so that's always good um which surprised me because i thought you would not like this movie because it it replaces a movie that I know that you've wanted forever, a Planet Hulk movie. And of course, I'm talking about Thor Ragnarok for number five for me. Yeah, boy. I love you, Taika Waititi. Keep making wonderful movies. You single-handedly yeah. saved the Thor franchise. Yes. Because we've talked about Dark World is a mess, and I was not excited for Ragnarok until they said Taika Waititi was doing it. And this was... um. I had already seen what we do in the shadows by that point. So when they said he was attached to us, just like, oh, we're back on track now. But I didn't yes. realize how back on track we were because <laughs> not only is it um, the best Thor movie, it's 
it cracks my top five. It's so good. It is. It's very good. Because it's funny, but also there's some great action with the Coliseum fight, but also the one of the coolest non-endgame single shot frames in any Marvel movie of when he's descending from all heaven with um oh with the while well, he's more or less riding the lightning with what's it Ooh. um immigrant song by Led Zeppelin playing in the background you're just like just yes so much yes so good also thank you Taika Waititi for introducing us to the greatest supporting character of all time our Lord and Savior <laughs> Korg. <laughs> Just a little humor for you. Uh. <laughs> Just, can Korg and Michael Pena's character from Ant-Man please meet? It needs to happen, bro. It needs to happen. I just Ragnarok does so much right. But I think everyone always forgets that while it's funny, there's still a lot of emotional weight to it. And it's a very still very heavy movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Thor has never lost more than he loses in this movie. He loses his hammer. He loses an eye. He loses his father. He loses his home, basically. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm being quiet for a reason on this. So uh. okay. Uh, let's see if I have any last minute things that I really appreciated about it. Um, let's see. Just oh. I both love and hated the fact that someone pointed out to me that um, when Thor and Loki are in that elevator together, that's the last time they're working together before Loki dies. Stop. So they have that heart-to-heart of Loki should stay on Sakaar and Thor should go off and do his own thing. And that's the last brotherly conversation they have before he dies. Oh. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, man. What's your number five? I'm sad now. <laughs> uh, I got Infinity War as my number five. Okay, okay. I, uh, I I think that with my number four, which I'm going to go ahead and give that away uh, as Endgame, I think <gasps> these, these two, uh, they do a very good job of taking years and years of build to a huge climax. And I think they do it very successfully in a very entertaining and emotionally satisfying way. Are they perfect movies? Yes. No, they're not. Um, But I think they, they might, are easily some of the top two best films in the entire series. I'm genuinely shocked that you have Endgame at four. (laughs) Wow. It's a whole new ball game. It's anybody's game now. Wow. Okay. I'm like trying to do the math of like, which ones you haven't said yet. (laughs) That's insane. Because the Endgame is definitely higher for me, but. Wow, that surprises yeah. the crap out of me. Yes, but I mean, I'm glad we have different rankings. Um, yes, I mean, I, while I love Infinity War and I love Endgame, I think I personally like a little bit more of a personal story against the big overarching moments, while the moments like um, Assemble and On Your Left and 
getting the hammer for the first time and even like the actual like emotional pain of watching spider-man disappear in front of him i there's to me uh, there's a there's a few movies that i think resonate more with me than these big universe events Okay. I'll definitely disagree, but I'll get into that when I get into Endgame. Um, But I definitely see where you're coming from of preferring the personal stories. Case in point, one of the most personal movies for me, no shocker here, my number four, it had to be somewhere, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yep. This, I'm not ashamed to say at all, this movie gave me tears of joy that this Spider-Man fan has been waiting for for a very long time um, because it got back to the core of what I read for years upon years as a Spider-Man fan of Spider-Man in high school as a normal, relatable kid. It's the most... This feels like the Spider-Man that I read of... Not necessarily the most socially awkward, but he prefers to just be by himself making Legos with his friend Ned. Um, But he understands the responsibility that comes with it. And yeah, it's time that I talk about, for at least for me, one of the best scenes in the MCU when he's crushed under the rebel. And yeah, that this is the scene that made me cry happy tears because it's a scene that's literally ripped straight out of the comics in which in that comic, uh, Dr. Doom not Dr. Doom, Doc Ock drops a whole bunch of um, equipment on him that's like two or four tons. So like a lot of weight, a weight that he's never had to lift before. And so he thinks he's going to be trapped under there while Aunt May's in the hospital dying of something. I forget what she's dying of. And so he thinks he's going to be responsible for her death. Now, granted, they take the context a little bit differently in Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, but it's one of those like deep down guttural, this is not, Spider-Man. This is Peter Parker. And at the end of the day, you care about Peter Parker just as much as you care about Spider-Man because as any comic book kid would know, you see yourself as those characters. I saw myself as Peter Parker when I read Spider-Man as a kid, as I'm sure a bunch of comic book kids did. Spider-Man, yes, as I get older, I love Nightwing more and I love Batman more as I read their stories. Spider-Man will always be like that childhood favorite. And so the way that they presented him in Homecoming was it was like reliving my childhood of like, this is the Spider-Man that I always wanted. I had some issues with the Maguire one of he immediately felt like he was a college kid. He felt too old. Andrew Garfield didn't seem like the awkward out of place loner. Uh, he felt too cool. He skateboarded in a class. He talked to girls. Uh, but these this Peter Parker feels right. He feels like just a good kid. And Nothing against Tom Holland. He's a good-looking kid, but he looks average. He looks like a normal kid. He's not the good-looking dude of Andrew Garfield, but he understands the responsibility of being a hero. And I liked that at the end of the day, it wasn't a save the world from being destroyed. It's a, I need to stop this thief. I like the smaller-scale Spider-Man stories. He doesn't have to save the galaxy of the Spider-Verse every single time. There's a reason he's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Also, love the fact that he um, left post-it notes like on the stolen bike that he found. It's just all these little touches that to me just scream Spider-Man. It was the post-it note. It was, I helped an old lady cross the street. 
She gave me a churro, and then he eats the churro while he's got his mask pulled up, and he's texting Happy about his next mission, um, or not quite having the web slinging down right. It's just little Spider-Man things that I so fondly remember that it just hit me right in the spider feels, and it just left me sad for Far From Home that it didn't bring those memories back. Um, But I always just come back to Homecoming of, this was the Spider-Man that I always wanted. It's just... Yeah, I can't describe it anything more than that. Of just it's it's Spider Man, plain and simple. The thing is, there's just three movies that I like even more than that. As hard as it is to say, fair enough. What's your number four? My uh, number four is Endgame. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that. Sorry about that. I forgot that you were in that top in three. together. Yeah, we are in top three territory here, my man. Man, I'm sweating bullets because they're getting close, man. All my top five is like neck and neck. Yeah. You know what's bad? When I have to put Homecoming as my number four. Yeah. What's your number three? (laughs) Four one. Dang it, dude. Why couldn't you put that in the four spot and just call it the four spot? <laughs> um, because I like it more than Endgame. <laughs> Fair enough. I kind of was wondering where you were going to put Thor. I was like, he hasn't said Thor yet. Yeah, I, I for all the reasons you said that you have it down, uh, down in I think it was like the thirteenth or something like that. Um, I think it's no, it, it was my number ten. It does crack my top ten. I think. Yeah, it, it's. In my opinion, it is the most faithful comic book adaptation that Marl has done so far. Like on to every detail of, I feel like that's how Thor would act. It, to me, I, I when I first saw it in theaters, I was like, oh yeah, like this is Thor, man. Like this is totally like the man who is fish out of the a fish out of water, but in a good way. Like and he's. He's a little rough around the edges, but he he has a good heart, and you can tell that he has a good heart. Um, and it's the only time that I don't mind Jane. <laughs> she's not terrible. Um, she's, I guess isn't saying much, but um, but like the, even to the point where the big baddie isn't his brother. The big baddie isn't it's someone. Himself. It's it's himself, and the the defeat of what's it called the destroyer, destroyer which destroyer. We don't whatever. talk about the design of the destroyer nearly enough. That thing looks amazing. It's terrifying with a great and sound the, design. Yeah, of course, and the the I, the whole concept and the actual defeat of that was less about overcoming a bad guy, overcoming evil and more about coming into his own as a hero. And it just made it even sadder coming into dark world when that like it literally if dark world doesn't exist and you go straight from Thor to Thor Ragnarok, the arc is even more complete to, in my opinion. He, unless you somehow figure out a way to <laughs> tell the story of the death of Thor's mother it, without Dark World, I don't know. Which but, she didn't um, really have that much of an impact on story until Endgame, in which case that scene breaks your heart. Oh, dude, totally. I uh, The big thing for Thor w- with me was, I think, weirdly enough, I liked 
Hawkeye's role the most in that film. Of the role that everyone always forgets that it's Hawkeye or doesn't remember that he was there. Exactly. Like, I, and it's not because I think he needs to be forgotten, but like that's to me who he's always been. He needs to be. He's not this frontline hero, but this recon guy, this this sniper in the shadows of Hawkeye, not this. All right, let's be Robin Hood. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with Robin Hood unless you're Russell Crowe. <laughs> No, yeah, but and not that there's anything wrong with that, but like I felt like that was a role that fit at least Jeremy Renner's uh, Hawkeye better than running through the streets, you know, shooting arrows and stuff. Makes sense. Also, it's a shame that we never got purple Hawkeye. It is. However, I think it's uh, I think it's on the way. I I, I don't think oh. it's Jeremy Renner, but I think it's on the way. Haley Steinfeld, please. Let's go. Um, my number three is the first Avengers movie, the one that I've seen the most. I just really, really enjoy this one. Also, it's a weird um, nitpick, but a lot of the Marvel movies, at least from a visual standpoint, because I'm a big like home theater person, as well as like I would still prefer to see it in the theater, but I want the best quality when I watch it at home. Uh, Avengers, the first one, is still the best looking one because by and large... Marvel, for some reason, hasn't done the best of, like, the best-looking movies in terms of visual presentation. Like, if you upscale to, like, 4K or just, like, cleanness. But the first Avengers, even though it was 2012, still is the best-looking one. Of Holy cow, it's, like, sharp, it's crisp, um, really clear image. But it just nails all the characters. Um, didn't really dig Iron Man, but you understand why him and Cap are at odds, and that would sow the seeds for their entire relationship going forward. Um, loved Thor's interaction with everyone when he first met them. Um, Loki was a natural villain. He made a lot of sense. Um, I remember being in the theater when they showed Thanos and everyone in the theater pretending to know who he was. Yep. Um, it's just... So excellent. And you think it's never going to get any better than this. And for a while there, it didn't until it did. Um, it just broke the doors down. I just love that first Avengers so much. It's just excellent. I, I would agree, man. I mean, it's, I think the only reason that it's not that high for me is just because of. I'm having trouble separating what we know now from it and, and kind of how some of the stuff – I still – I'll still stand by. I think The Avengers is not as good if it doesn't have the, the, the movies before it. Well, funny you should bring that up. That's actually the big thing that I have against my number two, just barely number two, Avengers Endgame. Okay. I – love Endgame, but I fully understand that if you haven't seen the movies leading up to it, it does not have the same oomph. And boy, does it pack an oomph, but only if you've seen the required stuff leading up to it. Yeah. It's not the strongest standalone movie, but as a movie as itself, it is one of the most rewarding experiences I've had. Um, You said you like more of the solo story-based movies. 
I appreciate Endgame because it has both. Yes, it's got the big spectacle of me, no joke, genuinely losing my voice in the theater when Cap picked up Mjolnir because I actually jumped out of my seat screaming for joy because I've waited so long for that to happen because I love Cap. Uh, And then Assemble, if I had any voice left, I lost it there. Um, But yes, it's got those grand moments, but then the moments that I really remember and take away and hit me the hardest more than anything else are moments like um, Cap giving this shield to Sam and telling him that you're a good man and he's going to more or less be the new Cap and that he ends up with Peggy and that just fills your heart with happiness of like Cap finally gets... I will say Cap and Iron Man both get what they deserve. Of Iron Man has been a, like avoiding death for years and he got the life that he frankly didn't deserve. And even hate him in Endgame of, yeah, I have a family. I got off scot-free. Screw the rest of the world that could potentially be saved here. So he kind of gets what he deserves, whereas Cap has never really been able to find happiness. It got taken from him. So he got what he deserved. Um, Or Hawkeye has this great individual story moments when he gets to call his wife and hear their voice again after his story of being essentially a ruthless murderer for a while there. I just love Endgame. And I know some people didn't like the runtime. For me, it flew by. I think Endgame was incredibly well-paced. It balanced the epic, the grand, the huge scale of the story, but still really took the time to have those quiet moments of Cap leading the group therapy session, more or less replacing Falcon, who that's where Falcon used to do. Um, Doing that, just all the wonderful callbacks, some obvious, some really, really subtle. Like the last thing he says to Bucky before he goes back in time is, don't do anything stupid till I get back. How can I? You're taking all the stupid with you. Um, That's his final thing that he says to him before he goes off to the war. And the very first Captain America from nine years ago, uh, from eight years ago, it was just so good and rewarding. I just loved it so much. But the only reason it's not at number one is because you need to watch those other movies to really appreciate Endgame. I think it still really works as its own thing, but you don't fully get it as much. My number one is you don't need any other context. It just stands on its own. Yeah. I I, I think Endgame, there's a lot of really good things about Endgame, but I think uh, that is something that I felt like one of the reasons it's not higher or maybe have holding a higher esteem as I feel like I never feel like a film should require research before you, the watch. Isn't that right? Zack Snyder. Yes. I never feel like you should have to see all of the films before you see this one. Um, that being said, I think they do a decent job of making it so you don't have to necessarily. Um, but there's a lot of things that I, I don't think make as much sense in, unless you've seen everything else. Fair enough. What's your number two? Winter Soldier. Okay. <laughs> if nothing else, you've made me super curious what your number one is because I've forgotten 
a lot, so I don't know what your number one could be. <laughs> um, so I have a feeling I know that this is your number one. Yeah, let, I'll just say it now. Winter Soldier yeah. is hands down the best Easily. MCU movie, and whatever your number one is, it's wrong. <laughs> it's kind of like my my, my worst MCU heard. <laughs> Like I'm really curious what your number one is, but we'll get there in a little bit. But yes, let's. I can discuss Winter Soldier all day, any day. Oh, it's easily the. It's the only one that's really like up, up until whatever we're gonna get with Black Widow to really like embrace the idea that Hydra is this secret spy organization that that you know embrace the spy genre in within a comic book movie it's no marvel movie before or since has single-handedly changed my opinion on a character 180 degrees i liked but didn't love the first avengers so going into the first avengers movie thor was actually my favorite avenger uh i thought cap was just fine he was just kind of there he didn't have the cool factor of iron man at the time because i liked iron man then because he hadn't gone completely awful um so my expectations weren't particularly high for winter soldier i was already thinking ahead to the next one with guardians thinking um thinking ahead of okay guardians looks really interesting i'll see cap first and get it over with no 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 yeah i remember having i seeing it in college and just walking out of going that was way better than it had any right to be. Far better than I expected it. Far surpassed my expectations. And I just loved it from the first minute of On Your Left. And that's due no small part to the fact that I think Anthony Mackie is one of my favorites. Um, he's just fantastic. But there's just so much they do right. Um, and a weird side tangent, but I've thought this ever since I've seen Winter Soldier of... If we do get another Superman movie, to bring it full circle to the beginning of this episode, actually, if we ever get another Superman movie, basically just copy and paste Winter Soldier, because that's exactly how you get an old school ideology character that's truth, justice in the American way, Captain America and Superman, and put them in a modern world. You have them face something they just can't punch their way out of, an idea. He has to come to grips with the fact that the organization that he works for may not be as good as he thought it was. Do the same thing with Superman. How does Superman's old school morals fit in a new school world? And he has to, at the end, swap out the big um, Hydra helicarriers for Brainiac, maybe. And that's a Superman movie. Uh, but as much as Cap is like changing to this new world, I love the fact that he himself as a character does not change. His morals do not change. He's still that good, upright citizen. He knows what he has to do and doesn't change his course of action no matter what. Even though it may be hard, he still sticks to his guns like any good hero should do and doesn't just switch sides, Iron Man. Mm -hmm. I think really my only complaint about Winter Soldier um, is the Nick Fury thing. Yeah, we could see it coming a mile that he was not dead. But yeah, I that was the beginning of the stupid Marvel fake-out deaths that do get annoying at times. 
Yeah. But I mean, outside of that, like the introduction of Falcon and seeing him grow, the introduction of uh, uh, really the reintroduction of, of, of Bucky, but also see uh, getting to know the Winter Soldier. And honestly, it's why I feel like Bucky got shortchanged a lot in, in Infinity War and Endgame because he's obviously very skilled, but he doesn't really get any of the kudos that he deserves in the rest of the in the other films. I like that also in Winter Soldier, before we find out what your number one is, I like in Winter Soldier that they update and drastically improve um, the action and fighting of the first Captain yes. America is very over-the-top superhero, a punch will send a guy, a bad guy flying through the other room. Whereas this one, we've got more hand-to-hand combat and like actual technique to it um, and great shootouts. Also, Frank Grillo, Grillo is always a win. Um, but seeing Cap versus Bucky with that uh, one-on-one with almost like the hand-to-hand knife fight which ironically Bucky told him in the first Captain America, Hydra's not going to come at you with a pocket knife. And guess what? He came at him with a pocket knife. Um, which is like the hand-to-hand combat, the, the level of action and choreography definitely took a big step up that continued on for the later Marvel movies. Yep. I would completely agree. Now I'm really, really curious, man. If Winter Soldier's not your number one, what is it? So I know there are things that I have complained about this film and that the, because of this film, I can't get certain other storylines. Oh, but Thor Ragnarok is easily my favorite Marvel movie of all time, uh, at least up to this point. Really? I know Considering that I've how sat much you complain and, about it, I did not think it'd be your number one. I know that I sit here and I say, because of this movie, I can't get Planet Hulk. I mean, the, I have an animated You're the animated scat man? Yeah, apparently. Um, but I have an animated movie, Planet Hulk, and it's fantastic, so I'll be okay. Um, because what this film does with not just Thor, but also Hulk in their characters and their character growth is incredible. I mean, especially with Thor coming off of the heels of the dark world or even Chris Hemsworth himself was like, I don't know if I want to be Thor anymore because dark world was not the direction I thought we were going in. And now Chris Hemsworth wants to do as many as he can do. Oh, absolutely. So long as he's working uh, I feel like I think that Ragnarok is more fun even than Guardians of the Galaxy. I feel like the lore and the comic the comic book Easter eggs are more aplenty and prob- possibly even deeper here and more wide widespreading than probably some of most of the other Marvel films. Um, looking at you, Beta Ray Bill. Um, I really, really love um, Jeff Goldberg, uh, Goldblum uh, in this f- film. I love like the Valkyrie's amazing. There's I really outside of me being like the comic book little nerd in the peanut gallery being like, I know I can't have my planet Hulk movie. 
Um, this is really nothing I don't like about this movie. All right. That makes sense. Also, I think it's fair to say that I think Josh, for those listening at home, I think Josh may also go into this with a little more bias because of your love of Viking lore. I mean, there is that too. <laughs> but um, I Which, think... Also, quick side tangent. How cool was that Assassin's Creed Valhalla trailer? Uh, it's cool. I'm confused though. Um, yeah, I was I was ready to go into that trailer just being like, oh, so it's God of War. And it's, the more the trailer progressed, I was like, okay, I can't make that joke. And I, I, can, I can't make any jokes because this looks really cool. It looks really cool, but it doesn't look like an Assassin's Creed game. I don't get it. I don't Maybe understand. that's why it looks cool. <sighs> but yeah, regardless, I, I, the big thing is, I think much like you, since Thor one, I go even going into the first Avengers, I I felt like I liked Thor the most out of that group, and then and really even since then, I mean, I love Cap because of Winter Soldier, but I think as far as far as story arc, because Tony doesn't do squat. Thor has the biggest and most emotionally, um, emotionally satisfactory, satisfactory, uh, a story arc of, of all of the Avengers. Now I'm just now realizing, like, I guess I never sat back and realized what Thor's arc is from the first one to now. It's li- mm-hmm. the first movie is literally, oh, I want the crown. Let me have it now. You old man. And he gets banished because he's an idiot. But now by the third one, he has the crown and doesn't want it anymore and just willingly gives it up because he realizes that's not who he is. Exactly. Like, that's just, just, oh, it's brilliant. Isn't it? And, like, just the fact of the, the, the loss that he took from Thanos breaks him so much that in Endgame, he has to go, hit, like, the, the moment he realizes he can interact with his mother one last time just and like that's what gets him over the hump is that mother's like you're a good guy at your core and you're still worthy like despite this loss despite letting your people down like you are still worthy you still got it in you to get to to bring back all that you've lost like, I, I know feel people like, he- like fat thor because he was funny and <laughs> look at him he's fat now but look past that, he's one of the most interesting characters of the sadness of the character and the weight of everything. Uh, there are certain moments in Endgame that I think he's so good at. Of Yes, he's all jovial and funny, and then as soon as Hulk says Thanos, his demeanor immediately changes and the room just becomes so uncomfortably silent. Mm-hmm. Um, but the scene that breaks me is when they finally get the glove uh, that can hold the stones... Um, and Thor's just like, let me do it, let me do it. And he's so desperate to fix his mistake by not killing Thanos. And Tony just looks at him and goes, you're in no shape to do it. And he's not talking about his physical state anymore. He's yeah, literally talking about his emotional state. And you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I to me, that's why Ragnarok is my favorite. Because at the end of the day... Thor is the one story arc I've been the most invested in. I mean, yes, I I have an affinity for Viking lore. Yes, I've that, like that's something that I I I really 
involve myself in. But I think story-wise, he's got the most completed and most emotionally dense arc of the of all of the Avengers. That's not what I would have expected, but at the same time, I can't say I'm surprised either. And I'm really digging your reasoning. Doesn't change <laughs> my position on it, but then again, it's hard to move the needle any more than five just because it's got such tough competition ahead of it. Oh no, I agree. Like, and that that was probably the issue with the the top five, top six was like once you get up there, like all of them are so, so close. But needless to say, there's very few truly awful movies in the MCU, and we've covered that a while back now. Um, but let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. What are your favorite and least favorite movies? How would you rank the MCU? Let us know in the comments below. Um, and also, as a quick teaser for next week, um, speaking of Thor and Thor's hammer, we thought of a fun and outside-of-the-box idea for next week's discussion Movie characters, not in the MCU, any movie character that we think could lift Thor's hammer and give you a hint for one of my people, the answer isn't always black and white. Um, so that'll be your teaser for next week. Uh, let us know what you would like to see uh, for discussions. We always like hearing from you guys. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.